Tonight I had me last night, eh? What a friggin' championship night. You should have seen me. Queen for a night I was. You'll never guess who. Ray, say. Ray friggin' say, you know him. He's agent to the stars, king of cabaret, manager of miracles. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only got one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I am joined by Will Steele to discuss Brenda Blethyn's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1998 film Little Voice. Will, good to have you on the podcast. Hey, Gordon. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so... uh. Uh, most of the time when I have a guest on, it's someone that I've reached out to and said, hey, do you want to be on the show? Here's the list of movies. Pick one out. And they pick a few and we pick from there. For this, uh, for you, you reached out to me and said, hey, I want to talk about Little Voice. So tell me why you want to talk about Little Voice. Okay, yes. Yeah, so thank you for um, saying how I shoehorned my way onto this podcast. No, no, no. But um, yeah, I think the main thing I, well, no. The main reason I wanted to discuss Little Voice was because when you announced that you were doing the podcast, I think this was just the first one that stood out to me as being so odd. Um, it's, you know, because there's only a handful of these lone acting nominations, right? Is it about 50, 60? Oh, no, it's about like 200 some. 200 oh, okay. Some. Well, you got, yeah. a long, you got a long, you know, track there to go. Yeah, um, yeah I actually... Don't ask me why, but I have seen every single nominated performance. Huh. I've watched all 1,100 and whatever films. Right on. Um, I set this as a task for myself about four years ago. Um, took me ages, but I loved it. Um, sort of to see Oscar history evolve, what they awarded, um, and just explore filmographies through the Oscars. And yeah, I think Little Voice stood out because it's British like very, very weird and British. Very. And you being American, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think from the guests I've heard so far, mainly Americans, I thought... Some, yeah. Yeah. Here and there. I, have, you, have you ever had a Brit on? At least one off the top of my head, uh, incidentally, for American History X. Uh, oh, they... okay. Same year? Yes. Yes. The same year as the movie we're talking about. I yeah. don't... Okay, I'm actually going to check because I don't want to be slighting any of my uh, other guests that I might be forgetting. Oh, and also, oh, how could I forget? My friend Mark, who was on the Sexy Beast episode. Okay, okay. Which yeah. is another quite English film, I'd a, say. A, a British, a very, English. A very, Yeah. Yes. Um, so I thought maybe I could um, help shed some light on the oddity, which is Little Voice, because yes. I am so fascinated with the Oscars in general, but that this film perforated the Oscar conversation in 1998 to the extent it did only, you know, accumulating one nomination, but it really had the potential to go a lot further. Oh yeah. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and it's just that it's so strange, both in and of itself as a film, but its place in Oscar history is so strange. And I wanted to discuss that. So yeah, that's why I reached out and suggested we did this. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, there's a whole lot to talk about with this movie, with this movie as an awards play, with this movie in the time that it came out and in 
just sort of the general landscape of film. So I, I'm glad, I'm glad that you picked it. it. It's it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So okay, the film we're, yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, I was going to say let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, the film we're talking about is Little Voice from 1998, written and directed by Mark Herman, based on the play The Rise and Voice. The excuse me, The Rise and Fall of Little Voice by Jim Cartwright, starring Jane Horrocks, Michael Caine, Brenda Blethyn, Ewan McGregor, Jim Broadbent, Annette Badland, uh, Philip Jackson and Graham Turner as the ghost dad who shows up a couple times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Are uh, you going by the billing of, is it SAG that, like, for their ensembles, they um, name think, the ensemble based on who gets a single title card? Have you heard this? Yes, yeah. I think okay. I did. It's the SAG ensemble, because this did get a SAG ensemble nomination. We'll get into it. It did indeed. Um, but I think it's, I, I wrote down that cast and Graham Turner just because he pops up a couple times. I think he was, like, a a footballer, not an actor. I looked into him. Really? Okay, well, um, something to know about me. I hate, well, I don't hate football, but um, a big thing in Britain, England, is uh, to be very into your football. So I am not, weirdly enough. um, So I didn't, that's maybe why I didn't recognize him. But I, I, you know, was like, what are you, Brenda Blevin, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I only knew that from looking at his Wikipedia. Uh, I don't think he was, I, I wonder how he got cast in that role in that case because it seemed like he had a fairly extensive career uh as a player and then also i think as a like a manager or team owner or something okay Uh, yeah i mean his we'll get into his part in the films because it it struck me on the second time as that's that's a choice you know that's interesting it is a choice yeah yeah it uh premiered september 18th 1998 at the toronto international film festival Opened December 4th, 1998 in the United States and on January 8th, 1999 in the United Kingdom. So Okay. So yeah. we got it a bit later. Yeah. Just that doesn't bit. seem fair, does it? Yeah, you would expect. Usually it happens the other way around where uh, a British film will open in the UK earlier and then come over here after the fact. I, I don't know why it was more than a month later. Hmm, so, yeah. Well... I- well, it, was, it was a Miramax movie, so that probably plays a big part in it. Absolutely. Yeah, and we will talk a lot about Miramax, because this is a very Miramax year at the Oscars. It is. It is maybe the Miramax year. I mean, yeah. I'm not super, super, super familiar with Miramax in terms of if you told me what was the first time they got a nomination, I couldn't tell you. But this is their year where you know strong arm comes to it that's the word that comes to mind when i think of 1998 and miramax yeah yeah we will get into it we'll delve into that later before we do let's talk about brenda blevin let's talk about her nomination here so uh what what are your first thoughts on this performance as uh mari hoff so um when i first watched this film i think i of course i came to it because of the nomination so I watched it and I thought, well, of course, yeah, that, that, that was very awards-worthy. That was um, Brenda Blevin getting that sort of follow-up nomination, which many actors do and actresses when it comes to them having a big role prior. So, of course, for Brenda Blevin, uh, you have to view the context as Secrets and Lies, which came before, um, which she is terrific in, and I'm sure we'll delve into that. Yes. But when I watched this film, I thought, yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, and then upon rewatching it today, I thought, wow, she is really playing to the rafters. Like she is, this is big with a capital B. Very. Um, and it's, but it is a role that you don't necessarily see in Academy Award nominated performances often. It's, 
a brassy performance. Um, that's the word I'd use, brassy. Very, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you'd see on British TV in British comedy, maybe. Um, she's um, encapsulating the, the ta- well, not the town, the um, counties of Yorkshire. So this film is set and filmed in Yorkshire. And um, it's sort of a stereotype. It's, it's a character type. Um, and yeah, she's really doing that broad Yorkshire brassy performance. And I do enjoy it. Like, you know, what do I think of it? I do like it and I do love that it got a nomination. Um, but whether it's one of the best five supporting actress nominations of that year, well, you know, we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's like you said, it plays to the rafters. It is not being subtle in anything. Uh, uh, like her, she has the first line of the movie and it's the first moment of the movie after the credits where she's waking up in bed and she just like shoots out of bed and goes, Oh, for fuck. And it like cuts away. So like, that's this character. She's bursting into the movie, shouting. She's very talkative. This is a very, oh, yeah. a very loud-mouthed character, uh, especially in comparison to her daughter, who has very few lines throughout the movie. Uh, yeah. which she, it's like almost as if she's speaking for the both of them, which, yeah, there's, there's reasons for that. There's implications that go beyond that uh, as to the backstory of this character. But yeah, no, it is, like you said, an atypical sort of performance as far as academy uh, caliber performances. It's more, yeah, it is more of a, like something out of Blackadder or a Mm. British comedy that uh, I in the States might not have as much exposure to, but I know Blackadder, so that's the reference I'm going to make. Uh, Yeah, I'd say that's a fair comparison. And I think what's notable of um, Brenda Blevin in this is she is top billed despite being a supporting actress nominee, she is top billed and um, Jane Horrocks, of course, her co-star ended up getting lead um, for your consideration and ended up getting quite a few lead nominations. But Brenda Blevin is top billed and has the first scene of the entire film, the first line of the entire film. I think on stage, um, the character was top billed. So she is um, really filling the film with a big performance that then was campaigned as a supporting one, which I think gives credence to a supporting nomination, which so often happens um, countless times in academy, you know, academy yeah. uh, awards history with a uh, category fraud. Yeah. They did it with, some people term it. They did it with Michael Caine in this movie. Uh, Absolutely. Well, a, yeah, that's, that's another discussion to get into. Yeah. Because is he we'll, supporting? We will get into it. Because, we'll get into that. And that ties into the Miramax thing because they, had a big part of that. Um, but yeah, no, I was kind of surprised how much of this movie she's in and is the driving force of. Like, she mm. is almost a co-lead to the point that, like, is this maybe a bit of category fraud? I wouldn't have assumed it going into it, not having seen it before, just because it seems like the kind of role that makes sense in supporting actress, like the mm. sort of foul-mouthed mother of the main character that, maybe doesn't have the most agency or the most actual like plot uh, associated with her. But I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that LV doesn't talk until like 25 minutes into the movie. So, yeah. so much of this first half before we get Michael Caine and Ewan McGregor and all these other characters sort of coming into the fold. So much of the first half of this movie is just Brenda Blevin. 
Yeah. And I think if, I mean, to sort of dip back into the categories, if Brenda Blevin had been campaigned in lead, people would have just immediately compared her performance in this to her performance in Secrets and Lies. And next to each other, they are very different, both very British. I mean, I'm not a big like um, nationalist. I'm not, I'm not. But, you know, these are two very British-centred films that have a real British sensibility. I think in that came out in a time when uh, Britain and British culture was, of course, like coming through Britpop, you know, the Spice Girls and all that. Um, but yeah, I think her performance is a big supporting one, as we said. And yeah, she really does dominate that first half of the film just by way of dialogue and volume. <laughs> yeah. It's a very sexual performance, too. Very sexually, mm-hmm. like, comedic. Like, they they play her sort of, like, promiscuity kind of for laughs, but also they don't entirely judge her for it, which I also wasn't expecting. Because you don't see that many comedies where a woman of uh, Brenda Blevins' age is allowed to be, like, sexually almost ravenous and mm. have it, it... Like, it's played for laughs, but it's not at her expense necessarily. It's more of just... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but there are at least two different points in this movie where she comments about how good she is at giving head, which Mm. I don't know. You you don't really see that from this type of role from actresses of this age in comedies where that's not played as like a, almost a gross out thing. I don't know. I just thought that that aspect of the character was an interesting little wrinkle. No pun intended. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Like I think, I really noted that, you know, how it can get quite lewd, especially um, when Michael Caine's character comes in, of course, because that's how uh, we meet him via Brenda Blevin, yeah, um, her character. Was it Mari? Mari, I think. Mari. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there's a few aspects of, say, British pop culture, like um, the carry-on films. I don't know if this is a thing. Have you heard of them? I've heard of them. I'm aware of them as an artifact. I don't know much of... Like, I know the general concept of them. Yeah, so artifact is, like, the perfect word, because these are incredibly outdated films. They made dozens and dozens and dozens of them with the same cast, and it would always just be a different setting, so a spy film or a film set in India. Just anything they could think of um but it would just entirely be innuendo um just for an hour and a half and it's a generational thing no one our age likes them um i have watched one just to see what it's like it was pretty terrible um and this film really reminded me in its humor of that sort of almost slapstick um approach to sexuality and although it does do that with the brenda bluffing character as you say it actually does portray her in not necessarily a derogatory light it's actually giving her agency yeah over her sexuality and not deriding her for doing so at her age yeah and like for as much as he sort of turns to little voice as a uh, a prodigy ray say is mm. never like repulsed by uh, mari as a sexual figure he's like he's still they're still involved over the course of the movie. He's never like, oh, I'm, it's not like a, it's a a weird comparison, but it's not a Lolita type thing where he's, you know, involved Mm. with the mother to get at the daughter. He's still like, they're still kissing and they're still 
physically intimate. Like they are allowed to be this sexually active older couple that fucks in his car and do all this stuff together. Like it's, it's played for humor, but not at their expense, which is, I, I don't know. I'm, there's, a, there's a more eloquent way to describe what I'm trying to get at, but I, I just appreciated that they didn't make that the joke of the character. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I, but I do think um, where there isn't sort of out and out ridicule, I think the way both um, Mari and Reise are portrayed is almost like they are the dregs. They are absolutely washed up. They're both sleep. of them. They're yeah. And I think that Ray doesn't, Michael Caine is played by Ray. Well, no, no. He, he plays Ray. Yeah. He plays Ray. Yeah. Um, he doesn't necessarily look down on Mari, on Brenda Blevin, um, because he can't look down on anyone because he is at the bottom. Yeah. Um, so I think that influences their relationship because neither of them are in any place to judge. Uh, so I think that comes through in the portrayal of Brenda Blevin's character. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you mentioned innuendo as far as the... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, carry on films I'd say there's, there's a bit of a difference between innuendo sexual comedy and Brenda Blethen shouting down uh, an empty street I've got tits a gob and, a, and an ass to die for like, that's, that's about as far away from innuendo as you get is Brenda Blethen talking about how great her tits and ass are yeah I guess you're right there it's not yeah, it's, it's, it's not more veiled frank. it's yeah. just oh it's as frank as can be and I think maybe that is why this performance intrigued people because I don't, this is why I was fascinated to come on to get your perspective on it. Because is this a um, stereotype? Is this a character type that ever really perforates the culture? Like it's such a strange performance, but this is a character type. This is a person many people know in Britain. Like it's, I mean, as you said, um, one of the words she says, gob, like that's quite a British slang, gobby. Gobby is a word, you yeah. know, people would use to describe someone who's quite mouthy. I'd say it's quite a mean word, so I wouldn't use it necessarily for her yeah. character. But yeah, she's, she's gobby. Like she will give it back to you if you, um, you know, get on the wrong side of her. Yeah. And she does that. Like she's always like on, like when uh, uh, Ewan McGregor and the other phone guy, whose yeah. character name and actor name, I don't remember. But uh, like the opening of the film is the two of them coming to install a phone in their house. Mm. Uh, uh, like an antique and... phone. Yeah. Even for so, the 90s. She's so excited because now she has a telephone. Is this set in the 90s? I assume so. I think it might. Well, it never really situates itself in a period. So I'd say it's well, just contemporary. Oh, no, it right? does, no, it does because they have, they play top thumping. They do. The, there's the like full Monty type. Uh, oh, the, the male the male strippers that are like take fat yeah. yes they did you they, call it tub thumping what's that's that the, that's the name of the song oh. the chumbawamba song tub thumping i didn't know that well that's yeah. news to me but yeah d- um take that are they a band that uh, i don't i think no? that's just the name of this group. oh no so it's like a parody of a british boy group called take that i don't know it it feels like it's a like a full Monty parody. Almost. Yeah, which of course came out the year before and I have a feeling that was Miramax, but I might be totally wrong. I think it was, uh, I don't remember. I, 
I just read that chapter in Inside Oscar, and I think what it was is that maybe it wasn't Miramax. Like, they had a bidding war over it, and they lost. But it was a similar type of thing where whoever picked it up uh, was able to push it that far. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. Maybe it was. No, no. I didn't know there was an inside Oscar that went up to the 90s. Yeah, it was the, uh, the second one, the second edition that goes up through 2000 or maybe 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. I've got the original, I think, yeah. that goes to like 86 or something. Yeah. So, there was, so there's that one. There's a revised edition that goes up to 95. And okay. then there's Inside Oscar 2, which goes up to like 2001, I think. And then the guy who wrote them is dead. So I don't oh. think there's going to be anyone. He passed away. Hey, I uh, mean, someone can take up the mantle. Someone. Um, yeah. Who knows? You know? Who knows? Um, but that's okay. So you probably have quite a better grip on this year's Oscar than me, maybe, if you've read that. I've read a little bit of the 98 year. I was going to catch up a little bit more before this, but I, uh, I haven't read all the way. So I don't know if there's a ton of insight about Little Voice in Inside Oscar too. But I've, like, I've read some other stuff about campaigning behind the scenes so i I know some of the miramax of it all anyway Mm. um how did we get on that oh (laughs) it is set in the 90s because they play top thumping okay i know yeah yeah, that's that's but now i can't remember the other point i was making telephone first scene right there we made it back this first (laughs) scene uh ewan mcgregor and the other telephone guy are installing this telephone and uh the older guy kind of has a thing for uh brenda blevin and Ewan McGregor mm-hmm. is also very quiet and shy. Uh, and she is just talking a mile a minute. Like, uh, Ewan McGregor's name is Bill. And she starts calling him Telephone Bill and laughing at it. And, like, she laughs at her own jokes a lot, which is kind of a... It's a fitting... It fits the character very well. She's very pleased with herself and her sort of sensibilities. And she starts, like... She says, like, oh, you look like you've been chucked in a tool bag and making fun of his clothing and, like... I don't know. She's just very, very talkative and speaks her mind about everything. There's a point later where she and her friend go, go to a cafe uh, and she's talking about how she met Ray Say and like, oh, he was grabbing my ass and <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun. And then we went and we fucked in his car all night long. And like everyone else in the cafe stops and is just staring at her. And she's like, what, what do you care? Go back to what you're doing. This isn't your, this isn't your business. I'm going to yeah. talk about getting fucked by this washed up music producer fuck you yeah when when it hit that scene i did sort of wonder again from your perspective so that's like a that's like a calf you know that's a cafe um that's sort of our equivalent of an american diner you know like if you're gonna stage a scene you know in a british film why not put it in a calf and i think that but obviously the comedy comes from how inappropriate it is for a cafe full of little old women yeah. Um, one of the other lines I wrote down in that sort of monologue she has about Ray Say is that uh, she calls his car a twatmobile, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just liked I liked that little like uh, neologism that she's just throwing in there. She has a very particular vocabulary and it's a it it adds to the humor of this movie. Like this is a comedy, more or less, yeah. you would say. I, but I feel like most of the humor of the movie comes from Brenda Blevin and a little bit from Michael Caine, but everyone else is kind of just acting as if it were just a regular sort of quaint little drama. It's, there's not as much humor drawn from the other characters. She's the big comedic figure, I feel like. 
Yeah, she is definitely the biggest point of comedy. I'd say I think a lot of the comedy for me comes from Michael Caine, especially towards the end. Yeah. But in a sort of desperate, sad kind of comedy, you know, yeah. um, which we'll get on to, I'm sure. But yeah, and then Jim Broadbent, of course. Oh is, yeah, Jim Broadbent. Yeah, who yes. is not actually funny. Like, of course, the joke <laughs> is he is absolutely terrible. But that is just something you will find a lot if you turn like the TV on and there's something from the 70s. People just used to be on telly that looked like him, that made jokes like him, and everyone would um, think it was fine. And yeah, that was that's a seminal part of British culture. And I think what's quite... Um, interesting about where they set Little Voice, which is in Scarborough, which is in Yorkshire, North Yorkshire. It's a seaside town and so many British seaside towns. So I grew up in a seaside town and that's where British people used to go on holiday in the fifties. And then um, air travel became uh, cheaper, more, you know, accessible. And then people start going on holiday abroad to Spain. And then the British seasides, which were designed to be holiday havens, just kind of shriveled up and got stuck in the past. So the fact that it's at a British seaside, Scarborough, which is super famous here, um, is emblemic of how they're all a bit washed up, all a bit stuck in the past. You can't even quite place where this is in time because the phone's antiquated. Um, the dress, yeah. the, just the, yeah. the look of the town. Yeah, the yeah. idea of glamour is so behind the times even for the late 90s um but yeah yeah uh like i said if it weren't for that uh chumbawamba recurring gag uh i i would not have been able to definitively say this is set in the 90s like it it feels like it could have been like a like a 60s 70s movie because all the music that she's singing is you know of a very particular era uh that kind of makes it feel unstuck in time in a yeah. little way. Oh, speaking of the music in this movie, there's a point uh, when uh, Mari and Say have come back after a night of drinking. They've come back home and LV runs upstairs and she starts playing. What's the song that she plays then? Is that uh, the, the Man That Got Away or is it a different Ooh. Judy song? I don't remember what it is. It's definitely a Judy. Uh, is it a Judy song? Yeah, because then the the power yeah. goes off. Yeah, but she's playing this one song and uh, uh, Mari wants to drown her out. So she puts on It's Not Unusual and mm-hmm. starts blasting it. And they start doing this weird little twist. And like the way that Brenda Blevin dances in this at this point and then later, uh, I don't remember the song. She, it might also be that same song again, uh, but with the neighbor, she has a dancing sequence with her too. And oh, yeah. it's just like, she's like jerking all over the place doing this weird little twist and like sticking her chin out. And like, I don't know. It feels very like she's dancing like a younger person would like, like when you watch, like, I can't think of an example, but it feels very sixties British sort of like mod era dancing music style. Um, I I don't know why I have that reference because I can't think of anything specific that I'm referencing to, but it feels like a very specific style of dancing that she's doing that. I don't know. She it's it's very funny. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's intentional on Brenda Blevins part, but evoking that 
60s era you know the fact that she lives in the past maybe is an inclination of her character who has had this child that she doesn't seem particularly happy to have raised and you know she's a neglectful mother so maybe she she sort of is channeling that resentment of not being able to be young and frivolous for as long as she wanted um and you know the way she talks about um little voice's dad uh, you know, you don't really hear her mention him until towards the end, and she uses something, some horrible. I've written it down somewhere. Um, yeah, that scene after the house has burned down, uh, and little voice returns to the home to get. Uh, is she going back to get the records or to get the picture of her father, or is it? Uh, I think it's hmm. it's a little bit open ended because when it when she started to run back. I was like, oh, she's getting the framed picture that she has up on her wall. Um, mm. But then, like, the camera focuses more on the records when she gets back there. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's both. Maybe hmm. maybe it's supposed to be that she's able to now move past her, her sort of connection, her trauma from her father's death. Uh, and they're both tied together with that. That could be it. That's probably a more accurate uh, interpretation of that ending. But anyway, before she goes out and finds all the destruction, uh, there's a scene where Mari like stops her in the hallway. And it's like, it's a very, it's dark because you know, all the lights are out because there was a Mm. fire, an electrical fire. And there's still like dust and water dripping from the ceilings. And it's her one big dramatic scene where she like confronts little voice about like, I don't know, just like, I, I didn't want to raise you, uh, you're tight, you're, you're, I don't know. And yeah, she calls her, does she call her a match? And she's saying, oh, yes. you're just a thin stick of wood that you, you know, set fire or something along those yeah. lines. But it's, she thinks it's quite, a, yeah, she thinks that she's the one that burnt the house down and she's like calling her ungrateful, which, you know, that's coming from her. Uh, mm. But, and, and then little voice finally gets to actually, mm stand up to her for once and she raises her voice it's the first time she's ever spoken loudly where she's not channeling yeah judy or uh marilyn or someone else it's the first time she's actually you know speaking in her own voice at a like a she's shouting at her shouting in her yeah. face uh and as she storms away she like my name's laura right yeah. laura I, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it. a big line. I wanted to make sure I got the actual name right. Um, but I mean, that's that's a good scene for Jane Horrocks. But it's oh, a good scene for amazing. Brenda Blevin because mm. she's like, that's the last moment for that character. It's one of the last moments of the, of the movie. She doesn't get to defend herself because in that moment she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I I can't defend myself against this. I'm not the most attentive mother, mm-hmm. uh, to put it lightly. And yeah. Uh, I think the the way that this performance hits and why it hit hard enough to get an Oscar nomination is that there's two sides to it. The first being the big mouth, that she is rowdy and lewd and brassy. But then that's the first half of the film. That's one side of the character. And then I think it's the sort of bottled emotion, the rejection and the sadness that she has um firstly rejected by um race and then when little voice in that really cathartic moment that the film builds to when she actually stands up to her mum, 
you know, Brenda Blevin, as you said, just doesn't get, she doesn't get the last word because little voice says, my name's Laura. And it's, it's that double edge to the performance that is why it wasn't just a one-sided comedic performance that she brought in that vulnerability and that pain that she got so much attention for in Secrets and Lies yeah. that makes this character a bit more rounded. And I think that's also a part of Michael Caine's performance as well, which is why he got a lot of attention because yes. it's all big and it's all brassy. But then when it comes to that, his last few scenes, he just falls apart at the seams. And it, you know, that is quite something to see on screen, especially in a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And to have it be like her last moment, she doesn't get like a, it doesn't re- ever return to the sort of jokey uh, caricature that she's playing. Like it in those final moments is allowed to be dramatic and mm-hmm. left as a dramatic character uh, in your final uh, look at her, I guess. Yeah. As it should be, because by the end, little voice, Laura has found her voice and she has outgrown her mum in a way. And she's kind of stepped out from under her shadow because she couldn't get a word in edgeways. You know, she says that yeah. in her final argument. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the way it should be. I'm, I'm glad that the film went that way. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say about Brenda Blevin specifically in this uh, before we get on to the rest of the movie? Mm-mm, the performance, I don't, I feel like we've covered a lot of it. Like, she is quite a persistent force throughout the film. Yeah, um, she never really goes away at any point. Like she's no. always there either in the forefront or in the background, but she's pretty consistent throughout in ways that even Michael Caine isn't necessarily, like he's not in the first maybe 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. of the movie, uh, but Brenda Blevins there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we've covered it all for her specifically in this film. Yeah, okay, so let's, uh, let's move on and talk about the rest of this movie. Just you and nobody else but you. I wanna be loved by you alone. I wanna be kissed by you, just you and nobody else but you. I wanna be kissed by you alone. So do you want to start with one of the other members of this cast? This is, it's a very big cast of a lot of people that are like notable, a lot of notable actors doing some very mm-hmm. interesting things in this movie. Do we want to, who do you want to start with? Well, that is a big question. Um, and I feel like I might have sort of jumped the gun a bit earlier. And like oh, no, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. On okay, no, it, wonderful. Um, yeah, as it probably always does. So I'd say that the next person to talk about would have to be Michael Caine. Um, yeah. Being Michael Caine, but also because he is the counterpart to Brenda Blevin in many ways and yeah. probably got the closest to a nomination, an Oscar nomination Maybe. of Horrocks and Caine. But that's something we can get into as well. Yeah, I, I do want to have that conversation because I feel like in as much as most of the movies I've talked about so far have come moderately close to some other nominations here and there. It's rare to cover a movie like this that I think came so close to multiple Oscar nominations. Like I think Michael Caine 
and Jane Horrocks were both probably sixth place. Interesting. Okay. Maybe I... maybe not Kane. Kane Kane, you have the category confusion. Yeah. In both like he was probably like six, seven, eight in lead and supporting. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So I, I, although... I wanna have that debate. I, I wanna have yeah. that conversation. Okay, okay. We'll get on to that. Yes, we'll we'll talk about that. But yeah. yes, as a as a performance, not as an Oscar play. Mm-hmm. He's wild here. This is I always like Michael Caine. I mean, he's very good at playing the charming old man, but I really like when he plays a little bit of a bastard. Yeah. He's so good yeah. at it. Well, that's the thing. He's almost playing against type in being a bastard, as you say. But being a... I mean, that's the thing. Michael Caine is a Cockney. He's from London. He's not an upstanding British, you know, gentleman that often he was cast as. But... This is a bit different. He's sleazy, as we've said before. You know, he's a wheeler dealer. He's um, on his last dime and owing debts all around town. It's quite a different role for him. But at the same time, it does have shades of his best performances. Like the one that stood out to me by the end was Educating Rita. I found that when he's giving, I'd say his best, well, part of the performance in this film is when he's singing at the end just yeah. desperate just crying out i can't oh, remember the good thing. what's the name of the song it's, a, it's over it's the, all over yeah yeah the roy orbison song yeah so he he's does. just saying it's over now and you know he's just he's drunk or he's sad and what he's doing i think it's so um it's not to be underestimated that people get nominated for what is remembered and if your most memorable scene comes at the end of the film then you're more likely to get a claim for it and that turn from being very casual, a bit of a Dell boy as um, uh, is a character in British pop culture. Um, he becomes this tragic figure by the end. And yeah. it, it, you know, and that's why it reminds me of educating Rita because there's the scene in educating Rita, of course, where he's drunk and he comes into the exam, you know, and it's really sad how you just watch this man who you really, really enjoy, who you feel for just, kind of come to pieces yeah it's also a little bit it feels almost like like an alfie like a return to the sort of Mm. 60s young playboy cane type archetype that he would play a lot in the 60s but like that same figure now aged up washed up still he still has his charm he's still able to like sleep around as like he says at the end he's still he's been sleeping with a bunch of other people uh while he's been with mari uh but he's like he still has that kind of charm that he's able to he's able to woo a little voice to, towards this uh this career that he's trying to set up for her he's 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 a bit of a uh what's the word i'm trying to think of he's kind of a player sort of yeah he's a player in, in a, absolutely in a, in a few different ways yeah uh, you know when he charms um Brenda Blevins character you're you're not surprised that he can because you know she's really big and i'm like oh racy you know like coming in but he you can just tell that he would be charming because he's michael kane you know it makes total sense even if he's washed up and driving a a, you know like a rubbish car although it's you know it's it's nice but it's outdated um he is he just brings that charm that not many actors could say if you i know this would never happen but say if jim broadbent was in that role you'd be thinking well i don't buy this at all and so Michael yeah. Caine lends that charm to the, you know, why he can convince both Brenda Blevins' character and Jane Horrocks' little voice 
into doing whatever he wants because he's, you know, a slick talker. Yeah. Uh, I did like that scene where he, uh, where Little Voice is, I guess, making, she's not making breakfast because as the scene plays out, obviously they can't. Um, but she's down in the kitchen the morning after he hears her singing. Mm, yeah. And he's trying to tell her uh, to, he's trying to convince her to uh, join on with him. And he, he hears her talent and is trying to manipulate it, essentially, to, to milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. And she keeps, like, asking, oh, have you met Shirley Bassey? Oh, do you know all these people? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Shirley, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think I ever crossed her yeah. path. Yeah. But I did meet, and he lists a bunch of people that I assume are made up because they're not. Oh, no, no, they're real. They're oh, are real. those real people? Oh. Yeah, I mean, real, like, old-time, you Obscure. know, not famous anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, that makes the joke even better because he is listing off these people like they were like they would be big names, uh, but they're not. And then uh, oh, it ends with like the biggest name I ever met was Monroe. And she goes, Marilyn? No, Matt or whoever. Matt Matt Monroe, who I vaguely maybe heard of, but yeah, I feel like there's something. Maybe I'm getting too sort of into this film, analyzing it. But with that breakfast. Um, there's a scene where he goes to cut, um, break an egg, to, yeah. like fry an egg, and, and he drops the egg, and he's like, "Oh, you know," because um, it's, it's green on the inside; it's rotten. Yeah, but there's something I notice in this: um, a lot of bird imagery. So when he cracks the egg, obviously it's an eggshell, and in that scene, he is asking her to come out her shell, and then a lot of the things before, of course, um, Ewan McGregor's character, who we haven't mentioned yet, but he has pigeons, and they're homing pigeons that come home. When you mentioned about the fire, she comes home, even though there's a, you know, like there's a fire going on. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of bird imagery in yeah. this and with the little voice and the fact that she's like a songbird. And that's something that struck me on the, on the rewatch. I was like, oh, this is quite unsubtle in all the bird imagery it's throwing at us. Yeah. And then later there's the scene where he uh, visits her in her bedroom and is telling the story of this woman he knew that I think raised a lot of birds or maybe just raised this one bird Mm -hmm. she collected bluebirds that's what it was yeah uh and she had this one tiny little bluebird that she kept in a cage and was able to teach it how to sing uh and when she let it free it stood on the windowsill and turned back and sang a song to her before it left and in like obviously in that scene he's he's getting the comparison he's making is little voice to this bluebird uh Mm -hmm. but yeah there there is a lot of bird imagery that i guess i i picked up on individually but i never made the connection that wow there's a lot of bird imagery in this movie Uh, yeah and of course it comes from a stage play well a musical um which turns out so when i was doing a little bit of research it's still going on like as in there'll be a touring little voice thing this year or next year and yeah i didn't know it was an ip that carried you know 23 24 years later that they're still doing little voice of course you have to have as your central star, someone who can do all the voices, yeah, which they have accrued over doing many tours of this, which I never knew until, yeah, looking into it. I didn't know that either. I do know that uh, Jane Horrocks originated the role in the original uh, West End performance. Yeah, she did which indeed. And directed by Sam Mendes, by the way. Did you read that she was going out with him at the time? I did not, but that makes sense. Ah, I think I think yeah. I think he dates a lot of his stage actresses. I feel like I've read that. Yeah, well, of course, Kate Winslet. I don't know if you ever directed her before he married her, but 
yeah, I think what's interesting, I, I, I think a perverted part of my Oscar, you know, intrigue, um, don't worry, this isn't going down a weird hole, but um, is that, so of course, Jane Horrocks originated the character on stage and then Alison Steadman played the Mari part and then she was recast as by Brenda Blevin. Yeah. Um, so of course you've got to wonder, so Alison Steadman's an actress, she's in some, she used to be married to Mike Lee, she's in some early Mike Lee films. Um, yeah. I recognize her name. Yeah, I can't I'm remember to... what I... I'm going to look her up. She's in a version of Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice. I think the the character she plays in a different version is played by Brenda Blevin. Huh. Oh, I I know this actress. Looking at a picture of her. Yeah, she's in I... Abigail's Party. That's like the main Mike Lee film she's in. I don't know what I know her from, but yeah, she's someone that I recognize. Yeah, so she um, originated the, the role that obviously Brenda Blevin ended up getting a nomination for. And I just wish, so the perverted part is, I wish I could sit down with Alison Steadman and ask, how do you feel about this? Because, yeah. you know, if they'd cast you, as they did Jane Horrocks in the film version, would you maybe have an Oscar nomination? Are you bitter? You know, because there's some actors who are incredibly candid about this, like um, Miriam Margulies. Oh yeah, Age of Innocence is like, oh, yeah. oh, I hate Winona Ryder because um, I should have been nominated for that. And she oh, that's built such a herself good in supporting. That's such it's, a good interview. I mean, Miriam um, Margulies is just amazing. But yeah, I do yeah. wonder how Alison Steadman feels after being passed over for this. But it makes sense to cast Brenda Blevin coming off of Secrets and Lies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael Caine, though, anything else on yes. him? Anything like, he's also a little bit, not one note, but it's a it's a mm. it's a particular archetype. Uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm forgetting the character's name, but the Rose. guy. No, but it's a little bit like Music Man. What's his name? Yeah, Henry Henry yeah. Hill almost. Henry I think. Hill. I yeah. think so. That sounds right. Yes, I was going to say Henry Higgins, but that's My Fair Lady. Yeah, but similar yeah. time. Harold Hill. 64. Harold Hill. That's his name. Wow. Okay, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit Harold Hill type, like. I'm going to sell you on this great grand career, except mm-hmm. now he actually finds someone that he can actually sell a career on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think he plays it well. I think it's, and like you mentioned in that scene at the end where he's drunken and he goes on stage and he sings uh, the Roy Orbison song. Michael Caine, not a great singer, but I no. think I think that's intentional. The character is supposed to be a very bad singer, uh, yeah, and he, and he does that well. It's it's funny and dramatic at the same time. Yeah. I suppose he embodies that talent agents, why would they be talent agents? Um, they maybe thought they had talent and tried to get into the industry, but realized they didn't have talent and then ended up representing people who did. Um, and I think the fact that he is quite an unsuccessful talent agent, that he hasn't even met Shirley Bassey. I mean, I haven't met Shirley Bassey, but there's he, reasons for that yeah yeah there's a talent he's a talent agent who yeah. basically has never signed anyone and so he yeah he's a he he i think a lot of the things to this film i can't tell whether it's in the performance or in the text about these characters of course they bring them to life on screen but i think it's there on the page you know his failures and also brenda blevin's failures as a mother and as a talent you know respectively yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Jane Horrocks now as the titular oh, little voice? Please, please, yeah. This is a weird performance mm-hmm. by by nature. It, it's not 
that she's doing a weird job with it. It's just, this is such a, a peculiar character because she mm-hmm. barely speaks. Yeah. And when she does speak in her natural voice, it is, it's a very little voice as the title yeah, would suggest. Yeah, she's got this tiny little voice like that. You oh, know, that's, that's a very yeah. good emulation of it. Uh, maybe you should be little voice. Can, can you do Judy or her show? Uh, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. So this, this role, as you might have been about to mention, is originated by Jane Horrocks, as we said. But oh, yeah. it was actually written with her in mind as she ended up yeah. doing these voices. Um, and of course, have you ever seen App Fab? Absolutely fabulous. That's another thing that I am aware of, but don't right. know much about. Okay, so it's a British, um, you know, sitcom from the 90s, but she is maybe the biggest standout from it. So she's not the lead, but she is a recurring character called Bubbles. And she has exactly the same voice as she does in this. That little, you know, Yorkshire voice with the little high pitch. And she, you know, any line coming out of her mouth and Ab Fab is just instantly funny because it's coming from her. Um, And so it is interesting when you get to, you know, of course it is called Little Voice, that she does just keep that as her actual character's voice. Because I I can't imagine that's actually her voice, but I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. She hasn't been in much. I tell you what you might have heard her in, Chicken Run. I watched that when I was a kid. I haven't revisited it, but I do remember liking it and just from memory, it feels like there probably is someone with that same voice. So maybe that's just mm-hmm. what Jane Horrocks sounds like. I think so. Maybe. I, yeah, she Could plays be. Babs the chicken in Chicken Run. And she is maybe the best chicken in it. She's really good. And so, yeah, she, you know, of course, with Little Voice, she got quite a few precursor nominations. Yeah. Um, but I, I, even just separate from that, mm. the, the, the three main impression, impressions that she does throughout the movie, speaking and singing. It's uh-huh. Judy Garland, Shirley Bassey, and Marilyn Monroe. And yeah. she does a few others. Like she does uh, Marlena Dietrich and mm-hmm. she does, does she do Ethel Merman or am I making that up? Doesn't well, do so I'm those... not, I'm not hugely like au fait with Ethel Merman. I think she might've been in company at some point, but um, I think it's Gracie Fields, the one that she does. That could be it. Yeah. yeah, who I don't really know who Gracie Fields is either, but I looked up the lyrics as I was watching it. I was like, because <laughs> I don't know who it was. Yeah. So um typed it in and it came up with Gracie Fields. So I'd say yeah. Gracie Fields. I'll take your word for it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, she does a lot of these impressions and she does them very well. Like it's, oh yeah, it's a very good Ju- Judy Garland that she does. And Interesting. That's the, big, that's the big one that she does. And it's not yeah. perfect emulation. Like there is mm-hmm. a bit, more warble to it than the actual judy and it's a bit exaggerated but like she gets a a, she what's the what's the what am i trying to say jesus um it comes across instantaneously that she's doing judy as soon as she starts singing before you even know before you can even catch on to what the song is just from hearing the voice you're like oh she's doing judy garland i Mm. know that much and funnily Funnily enough, I, I think of all the impressions she does, Judy Garland isn't the strongest, I'd say. I, I get that. Um, I'd say more warble. She needs a bit more warble to that um, Judy Garland. I suppose um, we've sort of been inundated with Judy Garland, you know, 
what's the right word you know just with Renee Zellweger you know yeah. I, I was going to say if we're yeah. if we're giving Oscars to people for being Judy Garland Judy Garland you know give does, one to Jane Horrocks she does Jane Horrocks does a better Judy Garland than Renee Zellweger well that yeah much. well the thing is like you've got to wonder which you know it, it's not even really in the question but say if Jane Horrocks had been nominated um what would her career be after this where would she fit into Oscar nominee Jane who Horrocks, you know, who, what, knows? who knows? That's maybe something we can never decipher. But yeah. I think her Marilyn Monroe, it, that's the thing where, say, when she said a line, um, I've got the fuzzy end of the lollipop, or, you yeah. know, my, my spine turns to custard, I'm like, oh, I know exactly who that is. Whereas when she did the other lines, I was sort of trying to place it through context of what she was saying. But when she did Marilyn yeah. Monroe, I went, ah, that's spot on. Yeah. She gets Judy's singing voice really well, I think is the main thing. Is that even yeah. even in other performances that emulate Judy or are trying to do a direct impression of her, the singing voice is what so, ma- what so many people get wrong, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think Jane Horrocks does it really well here. She's able to sell the singing and speaking voice. I think that's what I was most impressed with. Yeah, I think I'm being picky because she's oh, no, so you're good. totally fine. No, no, because yeah. she's so good at all of them that I'm like, ah, oh, that one, you know, not so much. Yeah. Whereas Marlena Dietrich, like, as soon as she started, I was like, oh, that's quite obscure. And I, even I get that. Yeah. And then she doesn't say I'm doing Marlena Dietrich. She's not, it's not as if Marlena Dietrich has like a really famous song, but you just know. Yeah. And then you, I looked at the reviews afterwards and I think it was Roger Ebert, maybe not Roger Ebert, it was someone else who mentioned Marilyn Monroe to Marlena Dietrich. And you're like, oh yeah, so I, I was right in picking that up. Yeah. And I suppose that's the that's the, a testament to how strong her impressions are, is that she never really names them apart from the first few and the faces you see on the records. Yeah. You get the rest by just knowing what she's emulating. Yeah. The Shirley Bassey one, I think, is also really strong. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, um, again, bringing in my, you know, intrigue and your perspective, that's a weird way of putting it, but... Um, yeah. Shirley Bassey, like, has sh- what, what do you know of Shirley Bassey? Like, generally? I mean, my most, I guess, what's the word? Um, man, I am totally forgetting all the words I'm trying to say on this episode. Um, it's fine. My biggest exposure to Shirley Bassey, uh-huh. I think, is, is Bond. It's yeah. Gold, Goldfinger. Yeah. But, yeah. like, in general, I, I'm aware of Shirley Bassey as, like, a, as, like a, a musical figure. And I, oh, absolutely. Like, I know her voice even beyond Goldfinger. Like I, I can hear other songs that she's done and, been a, and be able to just click, oh, that's Shirley Bassey. Like she doesn't really sound like that many other people. She, she's a very not. particular voice. Uh, no, I mean, it sounds like you have a very similar exposure to me, to be honest. Like, yeah, yeah she is mainly known for Goldfinger and the other two Bond themes she did. And I thought when they start using, I think it's Goldfinger or yeah, Guns they, of Forever. No, they do Goldfinger because it's during the montage where... They're trying to raise money for mm-hmm. the event, and Ray Say keeps like raising all this money and betting it on the horses and losing yeah. every time. So he has That's... to like sell his car and take out more loans with these people he already owes money to, and he bets yeah. it on the horses and keeps losing it. And... I think that's such a good wrinkle to the character that you yeah. you expect this montage of just saving, 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 and then it, it cuts to like you know Brenda Blevin pouring out the money on his table and then him just going to the bookies, just going down to bet on the horses, losing it all, betting his car. You know, he could, they could have just 
done it a lot simpler if Reisei yeah. was a lot more sensible, but he's not. Yeah, but I think that's just the original recording of Goldfinger. I don't think it's Jane Horan. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wondered, though, is it cheating to use um, another film song in this film? I, I know that's sort of like not really the point of the film, but I was like, can you ever use Goldfinger not in Goldfinger? Like, it doesn't quite sit right with me because I'm a bit of a Bond fan. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this film, this song belongs to one film and, not, and it's not this one. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It is, you know, written for the movie. It is about a character in the movie named Goldfinger. It yeah. kind of has to belong to that movie. I'm but being it, a bit of a stickler. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah. Um, but, like, it also, the, uh, uh, the Man That Got Away is so indelibly tied to A Star Is Born that mm, when she yeah. sings it here, I really liked that scene. Um, mm. And it, it's such a, it's a very interesting scene. And we mentioned we would talk about this sort of subplot because the man that she's singing about the man that got away is her dead father. Yes. Which, okay, can, let's unpack the dad part of this movie because I don't really know. I mean, it's, her dad died and it made her sad. It's mm-hmm. a weird way to put it, but she's you know, still recovering from the trauma of that. And she's able to sing and uh, envelop herself in these characters that she's imitating when the ghostly presence of her dad is physically present in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's, a ghost. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a ghost. I'd say. And it's all, I think it's the presentation that hit me this time, which I'd forgotten, but it's, I think it's actually effective. So he's, he's shown in gray scale, like black and white. It's the photo that she has on her wall. Yeah, it's, it's um, that exact photo of him. But like, but I'd I'd say it's an actor in the set. But that they just, you know, what I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he's he's wearing the same outfit. He's he looks the same in this sort of spectral projection that appears in the audience or whatever, and at her window. Yeah, it's the same presentation as he is in that photograph. It's the memory of him that she has is the memory from this picture of him mm-hmm. that she keeps on her wall above her bed. Uh, yeah, no, you were saying something I totally interrupted. No, no, I can't even remember what I was saying. Something about her dead dad appearing. It's effect- just, I think just that it's effective. I think that, yeah, I yeah. think it's really affecting. It's one of those things where in a film you're like, oh, that is a choice. That's a decision they're making. Um, and for me, it initially was a bit jarring to see uh, this black and white man um, at her door. But then over time, it actually kind of worked i thought that's kind of sweet and yeah it's it's i think what you got to remember is this was a musical on the stage and it's something that's just got to be communicated through staging through props through lighting and these characters can be a lot of words and a lot of actions but you've got to intuit that from what they're saying but also how they're feeling and so you can just picture it on a set you know photo of him maybe an actor in silhouette you know with the silhouette of her father so that for that it worked for me because it felt like a musical yeah yeah for a musical though it sure isn't a lot of singing in the first half like no like 40 minutes into this movie she's sung twice yeah but i think that's 
I, I don't I don't know how to compare it, but it's it's yeah. one of those films where I remembered because I've seen it before when I yeah. watched it a second time. I knew Jane Horrocks had a lot to do, but in the first half, she is mute effectively. And so I knew there was more to come, but it's one of those examples. I hear this. I haven't seen it, but about respect with um, Jennifer Hudson. Yeah. She doesn't like sing a lot in the first half so that the singing in the second half is so singing heavy that it feels impactful. Yeah. And I kind of felt that about, I don't know how true that is about respect, but I felt that with Jane Horrocks in this. And so as a musical, it kind of, it's very basis means you can't have a lot at the start. So yeah, I forgive it for that. Yeah, because her big like showcase scene where she's giving this performance on stage, it's just like six songs in a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like there's no break. It's Hey Big Spender, I Want to Be Loved by You, uh, Falling in Love Again, Sing As We Go, and Get Happy. Like mm-hmm. all back to back to back to back to back. And I think the confusing thing is before this all happens, or maybe it's either it's right before or way before, um, she goes to the club and she sings to like while the lights are off and everyone's yeah. like, oh, and you're like, she's still doing really good impressions. Just no one can see her. I feel like if that actually happened on stage, you'd be like, oh, do you know what? It's quirky. I'm going to go with this and yeah. enjoy it. Everyone's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, there, there's some moments like that that feel not contrived, but they're like, OK, yeah, yeah, you had to put this in your movie. Yeah, I think contrived is a good word. Like. This film isn't a masterpiece. I wouldn't say it's great. I'd say it's good. I'd say yeah. it's really good. It's, it's because fun. it does feel very contrived at points. It's fun with a kind of a flawed conceit at the center. Just the general, I don't know, the plot of it feels, a li- it's a little bit odd and it doesn't all work, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, and I tell you what, well, I don't know if you were thinking of something else, but I was going to say a performance we haven't mentioned too much is Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Because he doesn't really do all that much. He's not in the play. No. That character was written for the movie because ah. he wanted to... Because I think the director had worked with Ewan McGregor on yes. something. Yes, so the something. film the director did before was called Brassed Off, which I've yeah. never seen. Um, but yeah, it had Ewan McGregor in. Yeah, and he wrote this character of Bill to put Ewan McGregor in this movie. Oh, uh, and I okay. think that kind of hurts the movie conceptually because it makes the ending a lot weaker because the whole moment where uh laura is able Mm -hmm. to break free from her mother her literal ties to her past life are burnt to the ground Mm -hmm. Uh, she's gone away from race all this stuff is gone she's also able to move past from the like the ghost quote-unquote of her father Mm -hmm. he's able to be free she's a she's born again her she's cracked out of her shell basically mm-hmm. and i think that works better assumedly i again i haven't seen the play but i assume that works better in the play because now she's free to be her own woman and all mm-hmm. this stuff whereas in the movie that's kind of like i'm i'm losing all my words today god that's like spurred on by this conversation she has with bill and mm-hmm. then after she leaves her mother, she goes to be with Bill and his mm. pigeons. And it's like, yes, she's able to move on from the shadow of the man that got away because she has a new man in her life. It, mm. it, it feels, it kind of sells the character short, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I, I suppose I didn't really dig into it that much because I was just baffled by Hugh McGregor. I think he's such an, 
he's such an interesting case. I won't say he's an interesting actor because I don't find his acting particularly interesting. But as a as a star, as a really successful actor, I find that fascinating because I don't think he is a, an amazing actor. However, of course, tying to your podcast, your first episode was Beginners. Yeah. Starring Ewan McGregor. And I really recently rewatched that with my grandma and um, it hit me so hard and he's really good in it. And I really yeah. concur with what you said um, on your first episode about how he, you know, why wasn't he more in the conversation? But it's interesting to watch him here when he's just gone out of train spotting, but he's not in Star Wars yet. And you just look at him and I just couldn't help but think, wow, this guy is going to be a bona fide movie star for the next 24 years. Because you wouldn't guess it from this performance. Yeah. He is very unassuming. It's not very flattering. He's, I don't know, you could see this being one of the last performances of this actor who was had a one-hit wonder with train spotting. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be a very interesting career, but you could see it going down that route entirely. Yeah. Um, and I don't really have anything more to say about Ewan McGregor, but mm. transition, segue, I'm going to make this work. One of my favorite Ewan McGregor performances is in Moulin Rouge, uh-huh. also starring Jim, Jim Broadbent. Broadbent. Let's yeah. talk about Jim Broadbent. He's okay. wild in this movie. He is. Now, I think this character is meant to be dislikable, and his oh, yeah. performance is, I don't want to say scummy, but I did just say that. I'll say it. Scummy. I, I mean, it's one, it's one of the great things to put in your movie as shorthand, which is... Mm-hmm if you have an MC character that has this kind of grimy little mullet, you know, he's scummy. <laughs> you just need to give him that job and that haircut. And you know, every it's, it's, oh, it's the beautiful haircut short. does so much, doesn't it? It's really quite horrible. But one of so my first greasy. notes is just broadbent's mullet is wild. It's one it's, of my first things I wrote down because it truly is. I'm not used so to seeing greasy. him with hair in general. So yeah. seeing him with this, like mop on his head is wild. Mm. And I think something that I couldn't help but thinking a, a bit like the Ian McGregor thing was um, he shares so many, well, Jim Broadbent so, shares so many scenes with Michael Caine and you go, okay, well, that's your best, two best supporting actor winners for the, over the next three years yeah. after this film. Of course, because Caine, I think a reason why, why I wanted to cover this film was how it plays into Caine's narrative for 99 um, yeah. Because of course, I think he, him not getting nominated here, helped his win later down the line. Yeah. But of course, Jim Broadbent was perforating the Oscar conversation. Well, not the, not him specifically, but the films yeah. he was in. And then yeah. the next year with Topsy Turvy. Oh, he's very good in Topsy Turvy. He's so. Good. I think he probably got quite close to a nomination. I think there. so too. I think he's probably closer than we talk about. For sure. Yeah, I think because Topsy Turvy wasn't a huge hit. Like it's quite long and it's very strange. It's I love Topsy Turvy. It, it, it won two Oscars. So were they costume and set or something like that? Yeah, costume and art direction. It's also a screenplay yeah. nomination. It uh, is. I mean, Mike Lee. That's him coasting yeah. again off his secrets and lies. You know, kind of buzz. But yeah, Jim Broadbent is an amazing. He's one of those character actors where if he didn't have an Oscar nomination or an Oscar win. You'd just be like, oh yeah, he's just one of those great character actors who just turns up and he is great. But he does have an Oscar and that is, I love that. It's a bit like Chris Cooper who won the year after him. You're like a great character actor who actually got recognition 
in a category that's made for character actors. Yeah, and keeping with that, uh, the the person that's bookended by Kane and Broadbent, Benicio del Toro, another person that you can see looking back on like, man, isn't it wild they've mm. never given Benicio del Toro an Oscar nomination? Except he has one and he won for it. And, he's and he else. won like across the board in yeah. every like award ceremony. Yeah, he swept and it, yeah. it's, it, it's a great win. He's, he's very fun in that movie. He's a yeah. very, a very good performance in a movie that doesn't always work. But I think mm-hmm. Benicio sells his performance the best out of that cast. Yeah. And I think, I think the interesting thing hearing about say like this had Oscar buzz, the podcast, um, that that race didn't really firm until people started winning and it was Benicio. I kind of feel that about this year's Oscar race where there is no clear front runner for best supporting actor. This year right now. Yeah. I'd say for winning. Is yeah. There... I mean, yeah. I mean, last night, Cody Smith McPhee won the golden mm-hmm. globe and I think that's probably that's probably our winner. Do you think so? Because I I, think I watched so. Power of the Dog and I was like, he's good, but like I wouldn't even nominate him. Like he's he's very good, but um yeah, I think yeah, that's gonna I, be someone who comes out from like I think it's gonna be Ben Affleck or um man, Bradley Cooper. Know. Oh yeah, Just trails I, I see, ahead. I see both of those names coming up a lot. I don't know if I think either of them is going to get nominated is my thing i because mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know uh i could also see troy kotzer uh for coda mm. who I, I i haven't seen coda yet it's mm. the one big movie this year uh that has been out that i just haven't seen yeah. uh that's in the oscar race at least but I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people that love that performance so yeah. it could be a passion thing for that and then there's also both of the Belfast guys. Yeah. That but then both... maybe they'll traditionally like split the vote as people do for the same film. Yeah. Who knows? I, I'm very, very curious to see what goes on with supporting actor this year. Because like, yeah, you're right. There's no front runner. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as time goes on, we'll get a front runner. But yeah. I really like, I can't see a world in which Cody Smith McPhee McPhee, McAfee, um, he he wins. I just, it's not going to happen in my mind. Yeah, of course, first time nominees do win sometimes. Uh, Ariana DeBose, I think she has a massive shot at winning Best Supporting Actress, but then I could also see it going to Kirsten Dunst or Or Ingenue Ellis or Katrina Belf. Yeah, Katrina Belf, who was the the sort of early front runner. Yeah. Yeah, it's I don't know. a really odd year for Best Supporting Actor. It's a really odd year for every category here. That's say. the thing. Like, I think it's it's more shored up for the leads than it is for the support. I don't know about actress. No? Oh, actress, uh, yeah. Actress, like, yeah. Lead actor, it's down to it's like It's Will two. Smith, isn't it? It's Will Smith, maybe Benedict Cumberbatch, maybe Andrew Garfield. Okay, but here's the thing I'm going to proffer to you. And this is not about Little Voice, so we'll get back on track soon. But- it's totally fine. But like, okay, so last year, um, of course, um, Anthony Hopkins won when it was really choreographed and really predicted that Chadwick Boseman would win. Yeah. Now, there aren't many, you know, black winners for the Oscars. And it was going to be not only symbolic of them awarding black talent, but also of commemorating Chadwick Boseman. And then it ended on that note where Anthony Hopkins won for an amazing performance, but it felt very bittersweet. Yeah. And I think if they award the white British actor again when the 
black American front runner has been, you know, yeah, has been like, um, you know, they've they've heralded his win, you know, like they did with Chadwick Boseman, and I think it's just going to be so. I don't know if embarrassing is the right word, but that is how I'd feel if, even though I'm not obviously in the academy. But I'm just like, oh my goodness, like Will Smith is a star. I don't love King Richard tons, but he is great in it. Maybe I'd give it to someone else this year, but hey, I think give Will Smith an Oscar yeah. for that film. Yeah. I think yeah. the thing though is I don't know how much the Academy really thinks about that kind of thing. How well, much how much the optics like if they're not voting like if they wanted to have that sort of an optics story, Chadwick Boseman was right there like that's as good a time as any and if they're not voting on the story of that i don't necessarily know if there's if there's going to be as much of a story for will smith i don't know i still Mm. think he's the front runner i still have him as my predicted winner yeah but i think that movie might have peaked a little too early Uh, well yeah that's the thing but then again that happened say with judy uh judy judy um (laughs) you know where she yeah. was always seen as the front runner and won because it was sort of set in stone. Man, I I still don't know how that happened. I genuinely have no idea well, how, how the Renee, I think like oh, you look man. back at that year and honestly, would you have rather given it to any of the other four performers? Like, I think those performances that year aren't the best work of any of those actresses, and I think there's at least four performances you could nominate instead and. Give oh, a yeah. Prize oh, to yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a... Nyongo or um, Florence Pugh. Um, Aquafina was great in The Farewell. The, the Farewell that came out that year. Yeah, like there's yeah. just so many things. That, and it was such a boring category. Um, so I think that's why when it comes to predictions, it's like the nomination game is almost more interesting than the winners. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. because I'll be so intrigued to see, say, who's nominated this year in Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else? about little voice the movie or it feels like we're talking a lot i mean (laughs) do we want to just jump into the 98 oscars and then see if it sort of bleeds back into this year because we can talk about this year i'm very curious um just taking it a little bit back to the 2021 22 award season who's going to be on this year's uh lone acting nominees oh we're back after some technical difficulties everything's fine now uh I think we left off, we were partially transitioning into talking about the Oscars, partially I was saying something about this year's Oscars and I've forgotten what that was. We were talking about the uncertainty of the categories, but I think we were edging towards the 98 Oscars, which I yeah. think maybe if you can't remember the yeah. the weird point about this year, hey, let's just get right on to the 98 Oscars. Let's get into it. The nominees I'm here to honour. Five extraordinary women for their performance in a supporting role. And the nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Kathy Bates in Primary Colors, Brenda Blethyn in Little Voice, Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love, Rachel Griffith in Hillary and Jackie. Lynn Redgrave in Gods and Monsters. So, there were actually a lot more precursors, uh, nominations, and wins for this movie than I expected. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where do we want to start? Because we have plenty to talk about at the Globes, SAG, and BAFTA. So uh, there's a lot to talk about for each of those, really. Well, I think that the place to start is probably the BAFTAs, although I am biased. And also, thing to remember that about the BAFTAs is they happen after the Oscars normally. I mean, they used to, and I don't yeah. think they do anymore. But um, you often find, if you look back at BAFTA history, that a lot of, say, I don't know, say Dog Day Afternoon will be nominated in 75 or 76 yeah. rather than 75. You know, the BAFTAs were a yeah. bit behind because of those British release schedules. But I think it's interesting to note that the BAFTA had four positions for their acting categories back in 1998. And Michael Caine made it in, Jane Horrocks made it in, and Brenda Blevin. But that's expected because it is a British film and they do, they do tend to go towards British films. Um, I don't think it won any of the BAFTAs. I can't be 100% sure because I think Roberto Benigni won. It didn't. I wrote down all of this. I got it all. You did? You did? Yes. You got it all? Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I think that's important that it, it had a strong show at the BAFTAs. Yeah. So it's nominated for Best British Film, which is separate mm-hmm. from their Best Picture Prize, but it's up for that. Yeah. Uh, loses to Elizabeth. You also have Hillary and mm-hmm. Jackie, uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Okay. Uh, my name is Joe, I think is what I wrote down. Hard to read. Oh, yeah. So name. that is a, um, oh, goodness. What's his name? Um, I, Daniel Blake. Oh, it's actually it's, uh, uh, it's Ken Loach. Ken Loach. Yes. Ken Loach. I think it's Ken Loach. Yeah. He did. Right. My name is Joe. And then uh, Sliding Doors is the other one there. Oh, so Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Uh, right. Best, okay. Best Actress, Jane Horrocks is nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Blanchett wins for Elizabeth. You also have mm-hmm. Emily Watson, again, for Hillary and Jackie. And Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Best Actor, Lead Actor, note that. Uh, Michael Caine, <laughs> Roberto Benigni wins on his ascent to uh, that Oscar. Yeah, you uh, said it a lot more... Um correctly than me who said like Benny knee or something oh, yeah. yeah uh and yeah. then uh uh tom hanks for saving private ryan and joseph fines for shakespeare in love mm, yeah uh, supporting actress brenda blevin is nominated here mm-hmm. judy dench wins here ends up winning the oscar for shakespeare mm-hmm. in love and then kathy bates for primary colors and mm-hmm. uh lynn redgrave for gods and monsters it's nominated for best adapted screenplay uh okay Primary Colors ends up winning there as well. And then also Hillary and Jackie and Wag the Dog are nominated. So that's a, that's a holdover from the year before, of course, because yes, Hoffman the gets the nomination in 97, whereas this comes in in 98 for Britain. Yeah. United and, Kingdom. Yeah. And then also uh, it's nominated for Best Sound, which I think is a good uh, yeah. good nomination for the way it gets those uh, songs and all, just all, all the music in general. Uh, yeah. it's a, The winner is... Uh, Saving Private Ryan, and then also Hillary and Jackie is nominated, and Shakespeare in Love. Pretty standard set of movies there. Yeah, those are the same names coming up over and over again. And I think the interesting thing about 98 is, say as much as the eventual Oscar winner for lead, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, is derided, um, say, say, if we lived in a world where Kate Blanchett had won. I know this is a a little bit off topic, but that is such a boring performance. I mean, it's good. It's really good, but it's really boring. Like, I I don't mind that that was an upset. Um, and I think the fact that Judy Dench won for the same role, you know, same person yeah. in a different film, of course, um, it just adds another wrinkle to it. But I do kind of love the way it shook out. Like 
it's almost as if Oscar history had its way in 98, yeah. I feel. Yeah, I don't entirely mind the Paltrow win either. I think yeah. like it gets a lot of hate. I don't dislike it. It's not my favorite winner either. I think it's it's perfectly fine. And it, it makes sense that she won in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and I think, so I have actually today watched all of the nominees in the field of Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. I didn't get too far with Primary Colors, um, but the other ones I watched in their entirety. Yeah. And yeah, I think say, say a nomination like Emily Watson is it feels obligatory like she's doing a lot in that film she's um you know performing as a real person who suffered from a degenerative degenerative (laughs) degenerative you got it yeah yeah illness um and she also has a skill like she's playing the cello so it's a lot of things compounded and she's really good um but she was never going to win it's one of those cases where it's like who was actually fighting for that oscar and I don't think it was Meryl, so we can count Meryl Yeah, out I think Meryl, Meryl was probably last, even though she shows up a lot of places. Just because at this point, like, the give Meryl a third Oscar sort of mm. buzz didn't really start up again until, like, adaptation. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think like, anyone was saying it in 95, no one was saying it in for Music of the Heart in 99. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're okay. right. I think One True Thing is one of the... Meryl movies I'll get to talk about. I know I have four for her. I'm pretty right. sure that's one of them. It's, it's, uh, it's Bridges of Madison County. Um, Evil Eyes or whatever. Dark, dark something. Cry dark in Eyes? Dark. Yeah. Cry in the Dark. Dark Eyes is the Mastroianni one, which I think oh, might so be it, that same year. No, no. So it has two names. So it's a Cry yes. in the Dark and or Evil, Angel. Evil Eyes. Evil, Evil Angel. Angel. That's it. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, Julian Julia. And I think it might be One True Thing is the other uh, Meryl movie I get to talk oh, about. Oh, of course, Julie and Julia, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you've got some Merrells. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Meryl. I do love her. But yeah, I think this is maybe, of her 21, which is incredible that she has 21, um, but potentially her most forgettable because it's quite generic, even yeah, though I, it's very well acted. Is this the one where she has cancer? Yeah. Okay. And Renee Zellweger's her daughter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she was probably last, even though she gets a couple nominations, like she gets in at SAG and I think maybe the Globes. I, I still think she was probably last because yeah. Hillary and Jackie had a much stronger showing than I realized looking through all these nominations. Like everywhere that Jane Horrocks was nominated, Emily Watson was nominated. Everywhere that mm. Brenda Blethyn was nominated, Rachel Griffith got Griffith well gets in apart Almost from everywhere. a few right because yeah. they, they, they both miss yeah. a few but they were more yeah. consistently in the race than i sort of expected for a movie that has more or less disappeared doesn't exist yeah yeah it was actually it was on streaming on like a british platform earlier um like in december and i was like that's really weird like i could <laughs> watch that like on my tv but i saw it out today and it is a strange film because it's the person it's about jacqueline I can't remember exactly her Dupre, last name. Dupre, I think. Yeah, yeah, Dupre. I think you got it. Um, she was famous, but like to me, who doesn't play the cello, who's not incredibly musical, I don't know who she is. I wasn't alive when she was alive. And so wait, that whole story. Wait, so is Emily Watson Jackie or Hillary? I don't oh, actually know if I, th- I know. I think, oh, that's a good question. I think she's Jackie, but I might be it wrong. It could be. 
I genuinely I, hey, had never I watched thought, it today. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you'd think Hillary is the first build Emily Watson. Yeah. No, no, I think Hillary is the sister Rachel Griffith. But Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, Emily Watson was just that sort of... I, I think it's so interesting that she perforated Academy consciousness, like, especially with Breaking the Waves, because that's not yeah. a traditional... Is that a lone Oscar nomination? It is. It is. And you've have you covered that? I haven't yet. No. Oh, I, you I haven't. Have no. That is an interesting film. It's gonna be. It's gonna be wild. It I is. I talk about Yeah. I mean. Boy. Yeah, she's kind of doing, just on like a, like a narrative scale. It's kind of the same thing that Brenda Blevin is doing here. Where well, it's they're both exact. coming off of. Yeah, they're both coming but off. But like of, to the year. Yeah, to the year. They're both coming yeah. off of Best Actress nomination in '96. And then getting nominated for, not lesser, but a smaller... Um, no, no, I'd agree. Lesser roles, like, yeah. not as good. i tell you who else this exactly tracks with. Um, oh my goodness, how am I going to forget her name now? Um, Miranda Richardson. Yeah, I so, actually was thinking about that earlier today because I always mix up Hillary and Jackie and Tom and Viv. Yeah, because they're, they're got, similar yeah, title yeah. type, whatever. Um, yeah. At least Tom and Viv has a man's name in it. And I think yeah. the Tom of that is Willem is Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, yeah. Yeah. Is he playing T.S. Eliot? Is it? Is that what the Tom is? Is it I think T.S. So. Eliot, yeah. I think? I, ha- I have seen this film and I yeah. can't tell you much else than um, Aunt May got an Oscar nomination for it. Yes. So, you know. Yes. But yeah, yeah. It's one of those ones where I feel like British character actors or British actresses just had that have those brief stints i think the same happens for samantha morton with a different um separation of years where she gets nominated for sweet and low down and then in america four years later and And samantha morton gets the same roles as emily watson now it's just like oh yeah they don't really get served by what their talent is yeah and uh she's not british but going back to an earlier episode jackie weaver had the same thing too yeah well yeah that two year yeah her sort of like what the fuck nomination for uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, Jackie Weaver's an interesting one because that first yeah. nomination is a testament to how good she is because she stood out from that cast. And then I feel like, and I haven't seen Silver, Lining, Silver Linings Playbook for so long, but it, she kind of got swept up in that ensemble yeah. of, yeah. yeah. She has nothing you know? to do in that. Um, and I think that that year particularly, although this is wildly off topic, is really interesting because I think... Um, Oh, Helen Hunt is just the the runaway winner for that year. I every time I think about that year, I think, my God, she is so good in the sessions. That's another movie that I will be talking about. At some point. Oh, is it? Okay, right. Yeah. Well, I'll tune in for that one. But um, yeah. yes, sorry, we'll go back to ninety eight. Yes. Um, we were talking about BAFTA. Uh, BAFTA, yeah, BAFTAs. That's the thing. BAFTA used to be weird because yeah. they give lots of nominations to weird british films i say weird in like the best way like there's a film where alan rickman falls back in no he's a ghost and he falls back in love with his wife it's called truly madly deeply it's from the 90s and he got a nomination um his partner in it got a nomination i think juliet stevenson is her name i've Um, heard of that movie i didn't know it was about a ghost it's about oh sorry that's a twist no um, wild it's it's the premise it's so good um and that's just like something BAFTA used to just throw like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, best lead actor, best, you know. Um, and then they got very, very in line with the Oscars and the Globes. And now because of the jury, they've become really different. So I feel like BAFTA has kind of sort of 
redeem themselves as yeah. the cooler kind of. And I I can't wait to see what they nominate this year if they go by jury again because oh, it's gonna be weird. last year's was so good. Last year's was wild and fun, and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and it was kind of shocking as well, like Carrie Mulligan not even getting a nomination. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's gonna scupper her chance of getting an Oscar. Yeah, last year's supporting actor lineup was one that I really liked. Yeah, like Clark because Peters Clark and Peters. Paul yeah. Racy was it was like the one industry award he actually got nominated for. Alan Kim for Minari. Yeah. Uh, um. Oh, who else was it? There was another cool one. A uh, Barry Keogh. Yeah, Barry yeah. Keogh. Um, Kaluuya still got nominated, right? Uh, I don't know if that film played for BAFTA before, but it might have. It might have. It might have. I think I he might have won. So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to look that up now because I want to remember there was another weird one that I thought was really cool. Um, um, I think oh, the yeah. Clark Peters one sticks out. Yeah, it was uh, Leslie Odom Jr. No, I was thinking lead uh, that they actually nominated Mads Mikkelsen. Mads, yeah. And that's that would have, that's the thing, like last year's Oscar lineup would have been so good if you take out almost like the bookends, which is Gary Oldman and Glenn Close. And if you took out Gary Oldman and replaced it with Mads, that's like all time yeah. great oh, best absolutely. actor lineup. Or, yeah. or Delroy Lindo, I thought would have been. Oh, I, I, yeah. I was gutted that Delroy Lindo didn't show up when it came to, it, it seemed like he sort of petered out as it came to yeah. it. But he, I remember watching The Five Bloods in June, just being like, yep. Yeah, Best actor, best actor winner right there. Absolutely, and he's doing ten times more than Gary Oldman. Like, I, I, and I even like Mank, but that is, yeah, that's lazy. My my feelings exactly. I liked Mank more than most people. Still wouldn't have nominated. All. Yeah, I mean he has an Oscar. You know, get oh, dealt with yeah. it. Anyway, yes. Anyway, um, yeah, BAFTA, it gets mm-hmm. those six nominations. Uh, it does, let's... and Jane Horrocks, importantly, I think. Yes, Jane Horrocks, uh, rare. Globe, SAG, BAFTA, all three nominations. Mm-hmm. She gets nominated for all three of them and misses the Oscar, which doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, and I think, so again, I keep tying it back, but why I wanted to come on to talk about this film. I love Jane Horrocks. I love her in Abfab. I really like her in this film, but she doesn't make sense as an Oscar nominee. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like just... it wouldn't quite work. But I think it would be cool. I think it would be fun. Oh, it would be cool. It would, yeah. 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 Sometimes you just get those cool little nominations, like probably some that are out there that I just can't think of off the top of my head. But there's um, there's been cool Oscar nominations. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I I mean I am very into the Oscars, but I do they're kind of like my cool granddad that I'm like, well, you're gonna make bad decisions, but oh, I like you anyway. Yeah. In order to love the Oscars, you kind of have to hate the Oscars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 symbiotic, but um. Yeah, I think Jane Horrocks would have been a cool nomination, but looking at that lineup, like Meryl didn't need another nomination. I don't think that's really Emily Watts helped Emily Watson's career. I don't yeah. think that's particularly a great film to celebrate. But whereas Kate Blanchett, that was her coming sort of like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. I am a you know, a contender. And also she had been in bit parts before, but that was a really big lead role and she got really close. And I think that sets her up for the rest of her lifetime of awards. Yeah. Paltrow winning. She never gets nominated again. She never really even comes close. Um, yeah. So that's important. And then Fernanda Montenegro is like maybe giving the best performance for a film, which the Oscars never really 
nominated back then. You know, you have your very, very rare instances of foreign pictures giving getting an acting nomination, like Marcello Mastroniani yeah. got three. But then outside of him, Sophia Loren for one, like there aren't too many in lead that actually get that nomination except, until you get to the yeah. 2010s. Well, except this same year, Roberto Benigni coming in again. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why this year is so charged because it's full of, re- like if as Oscar, you know, we both love awards and we both love the history of it. And this year is so like packed with dynamite. Yeah. Like, if you're going to talk to anyone about who is into the awards, pick 98 because there is some dramatic, you know, contrast between the winners oh, yeah. and the would-be winners. Yeah. You know, we, we will just dissect and go over this year forever. Yeah, it's one of the most discoursed years as far as all of the acting winners. Like, Benini has his lovers and his haters. Both yeah. of the Shakespeare and Love actresses have people that defend those wins and people that really hate them. And then there's also the James Coburn win, which kind of happens out of nowhere. I think which is really good. It is really good. He's really good in that movie, but it's wild that it happened. It's really weird, isn't it? That's the thing. So for this year, I think another reason why I found it so interesting was I, some of my absolute favorite of all time films come from this year. Two of them being The Truman Show and The Big Lebowski. Yeah. And they are, one is represented at awards the other was not understood at the time and i would choose nominees in best supporting actress for both of those laura linney and julianne moore um but of course it's a year where you have these incredibly polemic wins and nominees but just sitting in the middle are the best films of the year i would say oh yeah and another one that got another like tying in a bunch of those narratives another comedy comedy actor coming in with like a dramatic role that like got a bunch of precursors and then the movie didn't get any oscar nominations is rushmore which is another one of my favorites of this year bill murray comes so close to a supporting actor nomination i i totally forgotten about that because the best supporting actor race was out of my mind because it's nothing to do with any of the the only film that got a best supporting actress nomination that also got a best supporting actor nomination was shakespeare in love yeah and that performance from jeffrey rush rush is just horrible yeah i, I, I do I not enjoy it about, i never think about him in that movie yeah well the thing is he won the bafta for elizabeth and that is actually quite a good performance from what i can remember but yeah. this is just i don't know it plays into the hokiest parts of shakespeare in love but yeah, yeah i think bill murray would have been an amazing nomination would have fed into his narrative for Lost in Translation, which is a very interesting year on its own. Um, but yeah, I think also when you were saying that, I thought that would be a good nomination in Olivia Williams for yeah. Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. I'd love to have seen that. But also, um, yeah, Bill Murray, just Bill Murray being nominated. Also, Lisa Kudrow, who got some yeah. precursors. She would have been great as a comedian in a slightly more dramatic role in Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. Supporting Actress is mostly comedy performances this year yes i mean have often have you seen gods and monsters i have and like it's a that's a dramatic movie but lynn redgrave is kind of hilarious in that yeah she is the comedy of that film and watching it today i was like i don't know how to feel because she her character is essentially like the crux of it is she is the housekeeper for james whale but her big scene is her talking about how he's going to go to hell for being gay yeah and i was like 
how do I feel about this? And I had to rewind it to watch it again. And she plays it really well because it's totally comedic. It's like, oh, yeah. I love him, but you know. And he's, <laughs> she's so good. And I think it's she really got good. that buzz and she got the Globe win just for that scene where her and Brendan Fraser are just talking about him. And, oh, you know, you must go. God, it's amazing. That's a good movie. There's it's like, really good. There's so many threads I want to tug at. I want like, we'll get to supporting actor. We'll get to supporting actress. I do still have other precursors written down. Okay, okay. So I'm going to get to that. I'll, I'll breeze right through them. Golden yeah. Globes, Jane Horrocks, nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy. Mm. Michael Caine wins Best Actor in a Comedy. Mm, I think that's really important. It's very important that he wins a lead award for this um, against, uh, it's a weird lineup. It's Antonio Banderas for The Mask of Zorro. John Travolta mm-hmm. for Primary Colors, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Williams for Patch Adams, and Warren Beatty mm. for Bullworth. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. lineup. Anyway, Brenda Blethyn, also nominated Supporting Actress. Like you said, Lynn Redgrave wins that globe. Uh, Judy Dench and Kathy Bates both show up there again, and then you have Sharon Stone for The Mighty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, SAG, Screen Actors Guild. Uh, Jane Horrocks, nominated for Lead Actress. It is... Not the full uh, Oscar lineup, is it? No. No, is it because minus Rachel Griff? No, it, it's minus um, uh, Fernando Montenegro. Right. Horrox is there. Totally slipped my mind who I was talking about. She's the outlier because she didn't get the Oscar nomination because mm-hmm. I'm talking about the movie. Duh. <laughs> anyway, Brenda Blevin nominated for Supporting Actress, uh, and that is the exact Oscar lineup. Uh, Kathy uh-huh. Bates ends up winning the SAG. Which yeah, I, no, I think. God, I want. Do you want to? Do you want to say? Colors. Yeah, talk about primary colors because I haven't seen this today, and primary, I mean, I saw a bit yeah. of it, and she is fantastic. But I'll let I'll let you. Kathy Bates is really good in primary colors, and mm-hmm. otherwise, I think the movie maybe doesn't work as a movie or as a satire in general. I had a lot of issues with a lot of that movie, mm-hmm. just like issues that are hard to vocalize, like it doesn't go far enough with some of its satire and mm-hmm. it's like pastiche of the real people that it's uh, mm-hmm. satirizing. But I think Kathy Bates is really, really good in her role, which is mm-hmm. again, mostly comedic except for her big scenes at the end. There was one other actor though that, that really stood out from the cast that I thought if you gave him like one more scene, he would have been a really solid contender for a supporting actor nomination are you going to say Billy Bob? I'm not going to say Billy Bob because I think okay. Billy Bob is kind of bad in that movie. Okay. I'm going to say Larry Hagman. Interesting. J.R. Yeah, Ewing JR from, Dallas. from uh, Dallas. yeah. He plays the senator that steps in for the other uh, senator that's running against uh, John Travolta. And he has this yeah. really big impassioned speech at one mm-hmm. rally where he's talking very frankly about like, what it means to be a politician and like how everything is spun and everything is just to build a narrative and no, no, like no one in politics is actually telling the truth. It's mm-hmm. a really good scene. And then he has, he has, he has other good scenes in the movie. I think it's genuinely a very good performance from him, but that scene, I was like, man, that's a really good performance. That would have been a really good mm-hmm. nomination for Larry Hagman. Yeah, I think you have that kind of nomination, say, in The Aviator, where like um, a TV legend in Al Nolder gets yeah. the nomination for just being really good in enough scenes to be like, yeah, he, he gets a nomination. But no, I fair enough. And 
funnily enough, Billy Bob Thornton did get a nomination this year for A Simple Plan. For a good performance. I feel like he was fairly close. I feel like Ed Harris was second. Everyone was kind of close in that supporting actor race because there was never a front runner. But Jeffrey like, Rush, no. Like Jeff, Jeffrey, not Rush. Jeffrey Rush. Because he just Rush, won. Yeah. yeah. And Billy in the Bob, Brenda Blevin year. Yeah. And Billy Bob had just won in the Brenda Blevin year in 96. But True. for screenplay. Yeah. So, he, so he, you could have given it to him there. Duval was really on a hot streak coming off of The Apostle. The Apostle, yeah. And he could have shown up. Uh, again, Ed Harris probably came very close. James Coburn, another acting legend coming in hot with that on his first nomination yeah Yeah. i tell you what so i have a a question to ask you so i will give you a hypothetical and i think this is an interesting one so i'd say kathy bates wins this oscar if she didn't win for misery but if she didn't win for misery then i'd say julia roberts wins i think it might have been angelica houston really even though she'd won five years before yeah I think mm. I think there there might have been too much of a snob appeal thing against Pretty, Pretty Woman. Okay, well that defeats my premise because I was going to say, hey, if Julia Roberts wins in ninety, and Kathy Bates wins in ninety eight, then who wins in two thousand? I think whoever wins in two thousand would be. I don't know. This this pulls out a lot of strings because then. Does Marsha Gay Harden win or does Judy Dench win for Chocolat? And then Ooh. does the Chocolat thing pull a lot of viewers towards Juliette Binoche, who's the only other nominee in a Best Picture? Or the only, yeah, the only other nominee in a Best Picture nominee. Well, and does Juliette mm-hmm. Binoche win her second in lead to pair no. with Judy Dench's? But no, maybe, uh, because uh, Miramax was really pushing Chocolat. They were, okay, so we need to get onto the Miramax of it, don't we? Yes. But yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'd say. Um, um, Burston wins again for I, yeah. Requiem, but maybe that's a film that's grown in the consciousness since. So maybe I'm projecting. I mean, um, we, I dissected so much on my Requiem episode. If you haven't listened to that one, it's a really good. I need episode. to. It's a really yeah. good episode. We talked about that best actress field a lot. She could have, but I really think the just the like the discourse around Requiem for a Dream was so much of it. Yeah, or not even negative, just like. It's such a brutal film to watch. Mm. It's so dark. It was rated X at least at at some point. They or NC seventeen, mm-hmm. not X, and they res- they ended up editing it and making it R. But like the NC seventeen of it, I think really hurt that movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I don't think Burston would have won without yeah. Roberts. I don't know. Well, I think Maybe okay. Julia one, wins. Maybe Julia just has two Oscars. Yeah, yeah, I think that could be the case. I, okay, one more hypothetical before we go on to the Mirror Max yes. film. Okay, so say if Judy Dench doesn't win in '98 and Bates wins or Redgrave wins, when of her later nominations does Judy Dench win? It's she wins for Chocolat. She won SAG for Chocolat. I think that's just such a terrible performance. It I is, but it, it is, but she's totally going to win for it. Mind. It's in, but she wins for it. It's a bad performance, but she would absolutely have won for it if she hadn't won oh, for Shakespeare in Love. Well, I'd say she wins for um, Iris. Against, I don't know, Halle against Berry. Halle Berry? But I think it was quite close that year between Spacek, Halle and, Berry, Judi Dench. And Nicole Kidman. 
I don't know if Kidman was actually closed for Moulin Rouge, uh, yeah. although she was the main nomination. Because I don't think it got Best Picture, but no Best Director. Yeah. Because that was taken by Lynch and um, uh, Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think she wins for that. And then you never have... Well, we, the narrative would be entirely changed, but you know, you only yeah. have Halle Berry as the only Black Best Actress winner. Yeah, and someone... So it's a dark history that goes if, yeah. you, if you take Judi Dench out of 98, I think. Yeah. Very strange. Um, one other hypothetical that I do want to touch on just because we mentioned the movie. Absolutely. I think because supporting actor is so weird and up in, like, up in the air up until James Coburn ends up winning, uh-huh. I think if Bill Murray is nominated for Rushmore, he wins. There's not but, a lot of cases oh. where I think that is the case where you say if so-and-so got nominated for this Oscar that they didn't get nominated for, they would have mm. won. I think that's very rarely the case, but I think you could build such a good narrative around Bill Murray in Rushmore, and he was showing up everywhere else. I think if he gets nominated for that, he probably wins for it, because I don't, like, I don't know. I, I just have that feeling. I think that's a bold case, but I, I'd be interested to see that version of history. Yeah. Anyway, um, before oh. we get to Miramax, though, I do, I do just want to get through the rest of these precursors. Yeah, of course. The, yeah. We're, we're all over the place with this episode, which is fine. This is a weird movie, and it's fine to be going all over the place. Uh, so sorry if that's bothering anyone listening. We're having fun. <laughs> so uh, SAG, which we were getting to. Uh, Jane Horrocks. I already said this. I already said Horrocks and Bleven. Never mind. But the other SAG nomination... Uh, that it got, it gets a Best Ensemble nomination. Yeah, which is very well-deserved. It is. It's a very good ensemble. Um, Shakespeare in Love wins. You also get Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, and Waking Ned Divine, another one of those weird little quirky mm-hmm. kind of British comedies that uh, they, they really loved them in this era. Yeah, like, I've never seen it, but it, it, per- it got like yeah. a SAG nomination for... The, the grandpa from Charlie and Chocolate Factory? <laughs> yeah, uh, David Kelly or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fun little movie. Do you know anything about it? Do you know what it is? I know that it's about a lottery winner or something like that. Yeah. I looked up recently, yeah. It's a, it's a small town where this guy, this old guy wins the lottery and then dies. So the whole rest of the town pretends that he isn't dead so that the lottery people will come and give him the money and then they can just split it amongst themselves. It's very quaint and sweet. See, it has I a, heard... Fanula Ian Flanagan. Bannon? Ian Bannon, Vanilla Flanagan, uh, David Kelly. It's it's fun. Yeah, I think I think my of watching all the Oscar films like throughout my my tenure as an Oscar watcher, Ian Bannon, weirdest Oscar nominee for Flight of the Phoenix, but he should have been nominated for Hope and Glory. Like that's such a good performance in that film. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. It, he's but, yeah. so good in it. And it was an Oscar nominee for like Best Picture, Best Director. But yeah. yeah. Um, it's one. Uh, I also just want to mention it's one of only four movies that I get to talk about that is a SAG Ensemble nominee. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take a guess at the others? Oh, I, if I give you the you give, years, yeah, give me the years and then I'll okay. give you 1996, 2015, and 2016 are the other three. So are these the years they came out or the years the years they came nominated? out? The years of the movies. So 96, I say the birdcage. No. Oh no! Of course, that was a nominee without being an Oscar nominee. Oh no! No, the, it was... the only Oscar nominee is for like sound or costumes or something. Or 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's art 90- direction. It gets an art direction nomination. That it? is very good knowledge. Okay. Um, 96. Breaking the Waves? No. Oh. But it is an actress nominee. Oh. Uh, 96. Can't be secret. No, it can't be Secrets and Lies because that got no. two acting nominees. Um, it can't be English Patient because that won. 96. Well, this is really testing my it's, knowledge. It's the one that everyone forgets in this lineup. You're going to have to tell me. It's Marvin's Room. Of course. And I love Diane Keaton. And that is a good ensemble nomination because you've got Leo, you've got Meryl. Yeah. yeah. And you've got um, Gwen Verdon, who, is, yes. who should have got an Oscar nomination for that. Yes. Okay, 2015. Um, it's, not, it's not 45 years, is it? It's not. It's, a movie I've, it's another movie I've talked about, though. Today, as in you've talked about today or just on as the it, podcast? I've talked about it on this podcast. I did an episode on it. Give me th- oh. It's the weirdest SAG Ensemble nomination ever. The weirdest, the weirdest. Oh, well, not weirdest, weird but just, it, I, I, it's bad. Tell me, tell me. It's Trumbo. Uh, oh, SAG yeah. Ensemble nominee Trumbo. There's good people in that, but it is There's a terrible good people film. in it, but they're giving bad performances. Yeah. Okay, and then the other one, the year? 2016. 2016. Oh, I'm really not doing well on this so far. It can't be Hacksaw Rich, can it? No, but it is a no. Best Actor nominee. Oh, it's Captain Fantastic? Captain Fantastic. Oh, got one. I got one. Got one. Yeah. Okay, we're back from another technical difficulty. Hopefully, everything's fine. We should be smooth sailing from here on out. Um, I think we were just finishing up talking about SAG before. Okay. We... So I'll just run through briefly the rest of these precursors uh, just to finish up with that. At the Satellite Awards, it's nominated for Best Picture Comedy Musical, Best Actor Comedy Musical, Best Actress Comedy Musical, Best Supporting Actress Comedy Musical, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Doesn't win any of those, but it's nominated for all those. Again, showing that Kane and Horrocks were showing up in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Independent Film Awards, Michael Kane and Jane Horrocks are both nominated. Not Brenda Blethen, but I don't know if they had supporting categories there or not. Okay, maybe um, not. Yeah, it's possible. And then you get into some credit or, or some critic stuff. Uh, Boston Society of Critics, Jane Horrocks is nominated. Chicago, Horrocks is nominated. And Michael Caine is nominated in supporting. London Film Critics, Michael Caine wins Best British Supporting Actor. Southeastern Film Critics, Jane Horrocks is nominated. Uh, and the other one that I wrote down, at the Motion Picture Sound Editors Guild, it is nominated for Best Sound Editing uh, for Music in a Musical Feature. The winner is Hillary and Jackie. The other nominees, Velvet Goldmine, mm-hmm. Wedding Singer, uh, three movies I've never heard of that sound kind of interesting called Dance With Me, Still Crazy, and Tango, mm-hmm. and Blues Brothers 2000. Which is weird that it came out in 1998, isn't it? That's just a constant puzzle of that film. It's also weird that it's a bad movie. It's, I mean, it's, it was trying to follow one of the greatest musical comedies of all time. Yeah. And you just Big can't, shoes to film. You can't, I mean, incredibly big shoes to film with John Belushi. You can't capture that. Yeah. Isn't it, it's John Goodman that they have as the new... Blues, yeah, John right? Goodman, Dan Aykroyd, I think. I've yeah. actually never seen it in full. I've just caught it on TV. No, yeah. Yeah. By all accounts, it is a bad movie. Uh, interesting that it got... I don't know what other musical movies you would have had 
1998 that could have shown up there instead. No, because it's sort of before the musical renaissance of Chicago yeah. and thereafter, which again, Miramax, which we said we were going to yes. touch on. Yeah, let's talk about Miramax, because like I mentioned, Michael Caine got some supporting nominations with the critics. Yeah. So from what I've read, uh, from the accounts that I've seen about this campaign, they knew that Michael Caine, they could fudge the sort of, uh, mm-hmm. fudge the lines, put him in supporting if they had to. And the main reason that they did try to campaign him in supporting is because that cleared the way for them to campaign Roberto Benigni in lead. Because oh. Miramax had Life is Beautiful. And they didn't want uh, infighting, basically, among their the films they oh, had. Oh, that is clever, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So apparently, the main reason that they pushed Kane in supporting was because of Roberto Benigni. Once again, Roberto Benigni fucking it up for everyone. Oh, yeah. Walking across those seats at the Oscars just really yeah. arrogantly just striding to that Oscar. But <sighs> no, I, I tell you what, though, of course, because Shakespeare in Love was famously and was Miramax. Yes, Shakespeare I would in Love much... also Miramax. Yeah, I mean, couldn't it have been a better show, I'd say, for Miramax? Not that I'm trying to rewrite history to favor them, but if they got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Michael Caine rather than Jeffrey Rush and then had your two really strong nominees from Shakespeare in Love and two nominees from Little Voice. I mean, with potentially Jane Horrocks if you pushed harder, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they they had a lot of fish to fry this year with Shakespeare in Love, with Life is Beautiful with Little Voice. I wonder what yeah. uh, What else do they have this year? I'm, to be honest, off the top of my head, I'm not too sure, but it is interesting, I think, that as the film we're discussing, um, Little Voice does very much feel like their last priority, yet it's still snuck in. And I yeah. think that is a sign of how persistent the Miramax machine was by 98, that not only were they putting all their money on Shakespeare in Love in exactly the same category as this, but they were actually managing to get another performance in at pretty much every single award ceremony that year. Yeah. I, I'm, now I just want to look through the other movies they had this year. Did they have re- the opposite of sex? Was that them? It doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. They had uh, Celebrity, Woody Allen's Celebrity. Oh, okay. Velvet Goldmine. Rounders, yeah. 54, Smoke Signals, Sliding Doors, the aforementioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of stuff that I have not heard of. Mm. Yeah, when I think of Miramax, I think my mind goes to Shakespeare in Love, or I think is Kill Bill. I feel like some of the Tarantino yeah. films yeah, they had, they had, yeah, I think all the Tarantino up through, I mean, obviously. They Hateful Eight, maybe. Hateful Eight is Weinstein Co. Because Miramax right. had brought out by then. Um, okay. And I don't know if they had Reservoir Dogs. I don't know if they were in on that level yet. Maybe not. Um, but yeah, they had all the others. Uh, yeah, this is a big year for Miramax, obviously. It's the year... I mean, they had already won Best Picture with The English Patient. So it wasn't their first... But it was like their first big... I guess an upset, really. Because yeah. Saving Private Ryan was such an expected front runner. Yeah, and I feel like even though English Patient won Best Picture and it was distributed by Miramax, I don't think the 
the actual producing credit went to Harvey Weinstein. No, Weinstein's whereas, only Oscar is this year. Exactly. So I think that's why it's quite a focal point in the Miramax story. Yeah. Um, yeah, interestingly, if you watch, of course, because it's relevant to this film, um, the Best Supporting Actress announcement at the Oscars for 1998, um, Judy Dench doesn't mention Harvey Weinstein which I found quite interesting because Harvey Weinstein was the most mentioned name next to Jesus Christ in Oscar speeches. Yeah. And the fact that he, you know, that is a Miramax film, Shakespeare in Love, and she won, and she refused to acknowledge him, I think is interesting, whereas I think Gwyneth Paltrow definitely... Oh, I'm, I, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. she did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's so many more dimensions now when you talk about Miramax. Uh that are tough to navigate and tough to get it. Like, I mean, not tough to navigate. It's, it's a pretty easy standpoint to make is that the Weinstein was a bad guy. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I think it's interesting it, it, it's that not even at the time, Oh no, no. Even yeah. at the time it was known, but I think the extent to which the wrongdoing was conducted. And I think that, yeah, it, it's been a slowly unraveling thread that yeah. has quite dramatically changed in how we look at it within the last six years because of me too, which yes. I think is needed. It's a, it's a reckoning long in the making, but it has a real implication, a real effect on the way you look back at Oscars because at the center of all this campaigning, a lot of Oscars is just campaigning. It's not just the merit of the performance is the people pushing yeah. for wins and for legacy. And it is often, especially in this year, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, he really uh, birthed the modern Oscar campaign as we know he it. Did indeed, for better or worse. And he, in this year, particular year, waged a campaign against Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, um, saying it's all in the first fifteen minutes, which yeah. I think hasn't really dogged the legacy of Saving Private Ryan, which most people say should have won. Um, yeah, but I think it's it's quite a classic split of a a lauded author winning best director and then a more crowd pleaser winning best picture yeah yeah that definitely fits the that archetype um i'm trying to think i know i had something else that i wanted to say i had a lot of things i wanted to say before we got sidetracked and now oh they're all i mean we can just sort of talk about 98 oscars in general yeah yeah go on you you Um, lead yeah Okay, oh, this is what it was, what we were going to talk about earlier. We hinted at way early in the episode. Who do we think was closer, Jane Horrocks or Michael Caine? Because you said Michael Caine. Well, I, hmm, why did I think Michael Caine? Because I think he won the Globe. Yeah. He got a BAFTA nomination. I think that would be why. But then I actually think Jane Horrocks might have been sixth because maybe Jim Carrey was sixth. Yeah, I think, I think... Horrocks is almost certainly sixth place in actress. I don't know who else you would even point to. Like, maybe Christina Ricci? No, because okay. you're right, you're right, though. But, like, there's no obvious sixth apart from Jane Horrocks. I know I did. I'm going to pull up. I did a post did you, you did yours, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, you, like, sixth I'd, place, yeah. I did the whole, like, who do you, who do you think was sixth? Which is maybe one of my favorite niche, like, social media postings ever. Because it's something that I always think about, you know, like, and you just summarized it into a whole series. So it was very cathartic. 
Okay. I'm glad other people liked those. I'm glad that wasn't just me doing my weird little Oh, thing. no. It okay. was great. It was great. Oh, where's my sixth place? Uh, 498. Uh, I reckon it, it was Jane Horrocks. Yeah. Okay. The ones that I put, it, I had Jane Horrocks. Mm-hmm. I had Christina Ricci for The Opposite of Sex. Mm-hmm. I had Ali Sheedy for the movie whose name I'm forgetting. But she won the Indie Spirit. Um, oh, okay. I don't know if I know this one. What is the name? Okay. Sidetrack from the sidetrack. What's that Ali Sheedy movie? I have a feeling she gave a really good speech it, for this. I think, yes. I think it's High Art. Yeah, yes. that rings a bell. High Art. And then uh, Golden Globe nominee Susan Sarandon for Stepmom. Okay. I'd say she was the closest to Yeah. Sick for something because that film was really successful. I have a feeling, yeah, and it would have been Sarandon's. You know, that's maybe the closest she's got to a nomination after her win. Yeah, so I had both of the. Uh, I I would say Horrocks sixth, uh, Sarandon probably seventh. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree to be fair. But then both of the actor categories, I think Michael Caine probably came close in both but was like seventh or eighth because an actor yeah. an actor you have jim carrey who wins the globe mm-hmm. and you also have joseph fines who's in the best picture nominee yeah that's or one best that picture always, winner it's there's almost a bit of a parallel between joseph fines in shakespeare in love and ewan mcgregor in little voice where it's just like this kind of performance that's just there to say i mean obviously ewan mcgregor has less a lot less to do and he's yeah. more perfunctory but it's just this like person who you're like yeah you do your work and everyone else will just act around you and they'll probably get the awards. Yeah. And then in supporting actor, like I said, you have Bill Murray who shows up basically everywhere. He might've missed SAG though. I think was the weird thing. Well, he would have missed BAFTA as well. Oh, well then why does it, why does it feel like he, he showed up everywhere if he missed both of those, which I feel like he probably did. Yeah. He missed BAFTA because he won the BAFTA for, Lost in Translation. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. And I think Scarlett Johansson won, where she wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. So I think that's a that's a cool BAFTA year. And like yeah. um Bill Nye wins for Love Actually that year. Oh, that's kind of a fun win. Yeah, it's such a, that's one of my favorite BAFTA wins, I think. Yeah. It's a movie I don't like, but it's a performance I like in that movie. Exactly the same. And he's one of those actors where I don't know if he'll ever get an Oscar nomination, but I love that. He got a BAFTA for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like what we were saying with Jim Broadbent, like it would be completely yeah. believable for Bill Nighy to both have an Oscar and also to nominated. have never been nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about actor and supporting actor. I've talked about this actor race a lot in my American History X episode. Of course, uh, yeah. Uh, do you have any particular thoughts? Do you think Michael Caine would have been a, a good fit? Okay. Here's, here's where I will start this conversation. Where do you think he should have been? Lead or supporting? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I'd say for the role, I'd say he is the lead because I'd say there's quite a clear delineation. I know we kind of, I betrayed this earlier, but I'd say there's a clear delineation of Horrocks' lead actress, Kane as lead actor, Blevin as lead uh, supporting actress and Ewan McGregor as supporting actor. I'd say there's quite a clear fit there. Yeah. And Jim Broadbent as another supporting actor. So I'd say lead. Okay. I, going into this, I knew that people had kind of 
strong opinions about this as a category fraud type thing. I was expecting him to be in more of it. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I think, I think this is a case where you could go either way and it would be believable in either category. I don't think either, if, if he had been nominated in lead or supporting, I don't think either one would have been enough of a, like a big, big enough of a fraud that people would be that up in arms about it either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I personally might put him in supporting. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think he would have stood a better chance if they'd rallied around supporting. Not yeah. that Michael Caine really needed another nomination. And yeah. actually it helps that he doesn't get nominated so that he wins the next year with a Miramax film. Yeah. Side of House Rules. Um, I th- wasn't, against all, I, all, all odds. I think I, I may have made this up, but I think I read somewhere that Michael Caine like, asked for Miramax to give him a supporting actor push for the Cider House rules as like a makeup like campaign for dropping the ball for this movie. I wouldn't be surprised because Michael Caine is, he's, I, I mean, no um, disrespect to his character, but I think him winning Oscars did mean a lot to him as it does to many, many actors. And yeah. And I think the fact that he didn't even get to accept his first one for probably his best well one of his best performances i say in hannah and her sisters so yeah i wouldn't be surprised because that kane win in 99 does irk me because he beats four iconic performances genuinely who could could genuinely win in any other year like they're so strong those four and he is fine it's 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 not as strong a discrepancy as this uh best actor race in 98 but it's like 98 Four really great performances, some of the best from each of those actors, and then Roberto Benini giving a very bad performance. But that's the thing. Like I think, and I very much agree with you. Like Roberto Benigni, uh, Benini, I am terrible at pronouncing his name. Um, he is. I really despise that film. I think it's incredibly insensitive, and I really, really don't like his performance. But there are so many people that really do. Like it's really popular. Yeah. And rewatching Gods and Monsters today, um, of course, I think that category is really strong. But I would give it to Ian McKellen. I think oh, that's yeah. Ian McKellen's Oscar right there. Yeah. It's Ian McKellen is far and away the best in that category. Mm. Nick Nolte is also very, very good. He's great, but I don't mind if Nick Nolte doesn't have an Oscar. Like yeah. he's he's good, but yeah. You know. Edward Norton, also very good in American History X, even yeah. though I even though I have my issues with that movie like we mentioned on that episode. It's still a great performance. Oh, it's it's yeah. it's maybe the most iconic as well of the five. I mean, oh, yeah. that's the thing. Tom Hanks, I think the interesting thing about Saving Private Ryan is it's a really good Oscar contender. It's a great film. But Tom Hanks, as an actor in it, is not doing like tons. He's not like, asked to do much. He doesn't have no. much to do. No, and he kind of just walked to a nomination at every major award ceremony that year because he's Tom Hanks and because it's Saving Private Ryan. But he's yeah. not like, you know, he's good, but he's he was coming off of his two consecutive wins. Yeah. But yeah, he's just like, it's just kind of a nothing performance where I don't begrudge it at all, but I'd never have him win for that. Ever. Oh, yeah. No, he, he's a clear fourth in that category. And it's still a good, it's still fine. It's just nowhere near the Yeah. End. You're saying like karmically fourth with Benigni, yes. yes. Benigni at the yeah, 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 yeah. I I don't know in voting, 
as far as that. Uh, I feel like I probably mm. talked about that on that episode. He was maybe, he was still probably fourth or fifth. I don't think they were going to give him another win. That no, season. no. Well, he's. Oh, well, I tell you what's interesting. How close he got with Castaway? Maybe is that another lone nominee? It's or? not because it got a sound nomination. Right for all the waves. Waves yeah. have to sound good. I guess. And, and for the plane crash, that, that whole sequence. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of those. Um, I, I talked about it on a recent episode and we talked about it a bit on Twitter uh, in the just discussion of the episode. But that's one of those movies that feels like I should be able to talk about it and I can't yeah. and it makes me mad. Yeah, well, like, because... do you listen to um, this had Oscar buzz? Because oh, yeah. they sometimes do, like, yeah. exceptions. They're like, okay, well, yeah, if they, we could talk someone, about one. Yeah, yeah. I, I love those guys. That's a, that oh, they're great. That's one of my favorites to listen to. Um, I had another point I wanted to mention. I'm really just out of it today, man. It was my first day uh, going back for this, for my last semester of school. Uh, oh. I, like my classes weren't that tough, but it's just been a long day. Oh no, going back is a lot. Like uh, it was my first week back at work last week. So again. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to, I covered all of the uh, precursor stuff. We talked about Jan Horrocks being sixth we talked about michael kane we talked a little bit about the supporting actress lineup uh but we didn't really go that much into it i mean lynn lynn redgrave oh that was the thing i was gonna say it's kind of a comedy heavy lineup and we talked about it a little bit but it's a very like again i haven't seen uh i almost said tom and viv wow i haven't seen hillary and jackie I don't think that sounds much like a comedy from what I've read about. Oh, it's not. It's really not. Yeah. But I tell you what, this year also is a Brit heavy year. And yeah. I think this often influences the Oscars, say famously in the Marissa Tomei win. Or the Helen Hunt against... win. Oh. The Helen Hunt win. She's yes. the only uh, American and she wins there too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this was a case where, of course, a, an American didn't win, but um, Lynn Redgrave. Judy Dench and another Rachel, uh, Rachel Griffiths. Rachel, Rachel Griffiths is Australian. I have a feeling. Yeah. Um, are you fr- are, sorry? Think think. Oh, for- and then Brenda Blevin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. It's just it's so obvious that I didn't think of it. Yeah, and then yeah. Brenda Blevin, um, who I guess I keep I kept touching on, and is worth rounding out. Like, was so close to that Best Actress win for Secrets and Lies. Yeah. She won Cannes, she won BAFTA, she won the Globe. Yes. But she didn't win the SAG. And no. then Frances McDormand won the Oscar. And Frances didn't even win the Comedy Globe. Because it went to Madonna. For Evita. Yeah. Who didn't get nominated, yeah. She did. Yeah, yeah, so that is, and that is arguably, I would never say this because I love that win, but it is quite a supporting performance. You know, like Bill Macy has more time on screen, but... The thing... That I'd say it's not that she's supporting; it's that William H Macy is also lead. Yeah, yeah. I you're just right, rewatched you're right. it recently because some friends and I uh, uh, do trivia nights with me. Uh, we watched it again all together because we're writing Fargo the musical for wow. like a, for like a okay. local fringe show. Uh, we're just gonna do that at some point, so we watched it again. That movie holds up for as much as so I good. for as much as I still give Brenda Blethyn the win that year. Francis is really good in that movie. Oh, oh, I mean, I think I was sort of 
conflating in my mind that Bill Macy just has more screen time because ultimately it would be Bill Macy lead, Francis McDormand lead, and then Steve Buscemi supporting. Steve Buscemi think, should have been there in supporting. Steve Buscemi oh my should goodness. have like three or four He Oscar should have an Oscar. Oscar. Exactly, exactly. Um, and of course, when you know Francis McDormand is going to win another two Oscars, um, yeah. you'd give that to Blevin and you'd see where her career goes. Because something that I wanted to chart, of course, coming from Secrets and Lies, which I rewatched recently, and she is, that's another performance that's like very oddly British and very local, yet oh, yeah. it kind of translates as like a, a dramatic performance anyone can watch, but it's very like quirky and colloquial. Um, but of course, now she's just like a television actress. She's not really in films anymore. She's in this show called Vera, which is about this cute little detective who hmm. solves local, it's like Murder, She Wrote, but yeah. British. Is, it, is she the detective? Yeah, she, who's just called Vera. Hell yeah. That's all I know about it. But she, yeah. she's been doing it for like 14 years and <laughs> she has a little hat. Um, and that's, that's Brenda Blevin now. That's just what she does. Like after um, Little Voice, she doesn't really have much of a like Hollywood like, career apart from Saving Grace, which isn't And big. isn't she in uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice? Joe Wright's Pre- Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, so she must be in the 2005 version. Yes, yeah, yeah, playing think the Alison Stedman role from the 90s TV show, I think. Huh. Yeah, a little who's parallel the, there. the actress who did, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's the other thing that I pulled up that I wanted to mention. Uh, sorry, total sidetrack. No, 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 but, go for it. Uh, the original run of the play uh, got some Olivier nominations and wins, which is mm. the, like, the London Tonys. Uh, exactly. So it wins uh, Best Comedy, which it beats uh, Lost in Yonkers, the Neil Simon play, which uh, is okay. interesting. Uh, Alison Stedman wins Best Actress uh, for playing Mari. Jane Horrocks is nominated. You also get Stockard Channing for Six Degrees of Separation and mm. Judy Dench for The Gift of the Gorgon. So a bunch of, a bunch of uh, notable names in there. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised. I feel like, again, a bit like the BAFTAs, the Olivier's tend to favor british like homegrown productions where say like a neil simon play transferring from broadway might not fare as well yeah uh also nominated annette badland who we didn't mention uh that much but she plays sadie the neighbor yeah she gets a nomination for supporting actress wow okay because yeah yeah, i i I didn't mention her too much because her role in this feels incredibly reductive and derivative doesn't it it's just like she's plus size and she's gonna fall over and yeah yeah she doesn't really get much in the way of character development but she is good and she's recently been on ted lasso i think that's the thing she's most known for now i know her from i mean i don't watch it anymore but she was on doctor who oh well i love doctor who i mean there's so many doctor who figures over here but yeah as the like Slovenes, I think. Margaret the Slovene, yeah. yeah. The the big old green aliens that are secretly like Parliament or something, some sort of government. Yeah, with the zips in their heads. Yeah. Yeah. And then also Sam Mendes is nominated for director and it wins for costume design. Okay. So yeah, that's the uh the uh this the theater pedigree of this original play, which is the rise and fall of Little Voice. I liked that they had a little uh callback to that. I assume that's probably in the text of the original play, but when they're all toasting to her after her big performance and she's slumped over on the stage 
uh, Ray Thay says something like, here's to the rise and rise of Little Voice. And oh, I didn't little... even notice that. Yeah. Which is, it's funny because she's literally fallen over and they haven't yeah. noticed. Ha ha. Um, oh, which another thing that I totally forgot to mention earlier that I just remembered as well. Uh, obviously you would have noticed because it really draws attention to itself. I love how Jane Horrocks is credited in this movie. Yeah. Uh, which the, like she throws this pigeon into the air and it's a freeze frame and it says Jane Horrocks sang all her own songs. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And I think that is like the magic trick that this film pulls is if you thought it was dubbed, then it wouldn't work. But when you know yeah. it is her, that's why she has that. That's why she had a chance at an Oscar because she yeah. is really doing all of that. And I think maybe with a more savvy campaign um, or maybe more of it in the film, she would have got a nomination. Cause I think if the Oscars love anything, it's mimicry and imitation and yeah. paying, you know, reverence to the, the Marilyn Monroe and Judy Garland. So it's almost amazing that she did miss the Oscar. Yeah. It makes you wonder if uh, Weinstein is putting uh, Kane in supporting to make way for Roberto Benigni. Was he doing something for Jane Horrocks? Was he like purposefully not campaigning her to make way for Gwyneth Paltrow? Well, I think that's a very good, a very it's, good possibility. It's entirely possible. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. We may never know. We will never know. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say about this year at the Oscars? About little voice at the oscars anything not about little voice i think it the thing again another reason why i chose this film is it's it was lucky to get as far yeah. as it did and i wouldn't give it any oscars like i i enjoy this film but it sh, it it sits where it does like i'm quite happy with what it got and this year for me with the oscars if i could rewrite history i would give it all to well not all but mainly to the Truman Show. I think that is yeah. absolutely the standout film of this year. Jim Carrey should have been acknowledged. Laura Linney, you know, I would give Ed Harris the win. I'd give Peter Weir the win. Um, I'd give it a screenplay win. Um, but it didn't. So I'd say in yeah. terms of Little Voice, no. You know, there's no more I could, I could yeah. say for it. But this year it does feel like the most, the year of Oscars in recent memory, you can pile over and go, wow, they were, so off you know that, yeah. that tends to be the case They're really uh uh giving into the narratives mm. yeah uh, i do one just little thing uh because i looked down at my notes and saw the adapted screenplay nominations that this movie got uh this is one of only three years ever where best adapted screenplay went to a movie that's not nominated for best picture mm -hmm. which is interesting the others yeah. being uh, The Bad and the Beautiful and Sling Blade two years prior. With Billy Bob, written by Billy Bob. Yeah, Billy he Bob. He gets a nomination this year. Yeah, and is also in Primary Colors, which uh, uh, Kathy Bates is nominated for. It all comes full yeah. circle. It all it does. comes full it circle. It all revolves around Billy Bob Thornton. I think that's what we can take away from this. Truly, the Oscars, uh, the, uh, the gravitational center of the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm is Billy Bob Thornton. Um, yeah, no, I just think it's, it's an interesting adapted screenplay lineup in general this year. Uh, yeah, because you've got Out of Sight in there. Out of Sight um, is a really cool nomination. 
primary colors, I mean, I didn't necessarily think the movie worked, but it's a nomination for Elaine May. Exactly. And I think that's always cool. The, I love that the BAFTAs did give Elaine May a BAFTA because Elaine May should have an Oscar. She should, I know she got an honorary Oscar, but she yeah, should she, have well, a competitive Oscar. She's getting an honorary Oscar this year. <gasps> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and then yeah, soon. Yeah. And then a simple plan is also a good nomination here. That's a, yeah. it's a very post Fargo movie. Affliction is also oh, yeah. a very post Fargo movie. Uh, those are both like they both exist to me as like, hey, Fargo did something like this. Let's let's do it again. That's that's quite astute. I've never heard someone thread Fargo to a simple plan. Very very astute though. I mean, it's just because we're doing crime. In snow. This yeah, that, that's really the that's really the main thread uh, between all three of those movies. But you know, there's a, it. It would make for an interesting triple feature. I'll say that much. Definitely. And then uh, Thin Red Line, which is the one Best Picture nominee that is even nominated. It's okay. It's a good movie. Yeah. It's not a screenplay I ever think about. No. I mean, I don't think of, of Malik as really ever following a script. He's more yeah. guided by his eye, I'd say. But yeah, okay. Yeah. Little Voice would have been a good nomination here i think it just had too many um rude words in it yeah for a movie that's like kind of quaint or at least for a movie that's sort of like billed as the kind of quaint sort of britcom uh that you want to you know like sell to american audiences they sure do say fuck a lot mm, and as you said twat uh, twats yeah. as i think they say in this yeah, yeah. and uh there's, it's a it's a pretty lewd kind of movie for as which the the thing with that is that the lewdness is kind of just in the Kane Blevin mm-hmm. a little bit of oh, a, yeah. of a, a Jim Broadbent. Broadbent yeah but then all of the stuff with Jane Horrocks and uh, Ewan McGregor and all that very innocent totally like uh uh wow I am just here yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's very sort of sanitized almost oh yeah because they're kind of almost children in a mm. weird way uh that's all i have to say about that i, I didn't really have much of a, more of a point um do you have anything else you want to say at all or should we get into our last little segment here L- let's go on to the last segment okay so you touched on it a little bit you uh, you said you wouldn't give it any wins but what other nominations if any would you have given little voice Oh, well, I'm going to be flat honest. I don't think I'd give it anything else. Yeah, that's fair. I genuinely, considering the competition, I'd maybe replace that Jeffrey Rush nomination for a Michael Caine nomination, but that that's really it. Like, yeah, for me. Yeah, that's fair. I'd say maybe Jane Horrocks might be in, maybe it if would. not in my top five, because I haven't mm. seen all the nominees. Okay. I, I would say just in general, she is worthy of a nomination in a vacuum. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I just don't know who I'd kick out that year. I mean, Meryl's an easy one to kick out because she knows she's got so many other nominations. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I don't think this would be anywhere near picture or director. We didn't talk about the director at all. I have already forgotten his name. I haven't Mark Herman? That that sounds, I'll take your word for it. I think that might be the producer. I don't even know. I don't even know. Here, I have it written down. Let's see. Yep, Mark Herman. You yep. got it. You got it. Um, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't 
put it in there at all. Screenplay, maybe. Uh, sound, maybe, for the songs. But, like, there's better sounding movies this year. Yeah, like, I think it's not, it's not ambitious. I mean, it's, it's, it's got microphones in it, so you yeah. can see the sound. But, like, say the sound on Shakespeare in Love, they're capturing, like, halls and streets and, you yeah. know, clucking chickens in the back of, like, a market. You know, I'd think... I I wouldn't even know how to start with sound. I almost feel like that's one to leave to the, People the professionals in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said it's not very ambitious in in that sense, but I feel like that's kind of the movie in general. Like, I, I don't think at any point the people making this movie were, like, aspiring to Oscars or anything. I think no. it just happened to come out at a time when this is the sort of movie that awards voters were gravitating towards with stuff like the full Monty and waking Ned divine and even four weddings and a funeral a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really important context to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 like you said, it's, it's lucky. It, it just came out at the right time, uh, at the right time for this kind of movie at the right time for Brenda Blevin. Uh, yeah, that's really all there is to say. It makes Mm -hmm. sense as a lone acting nominee. I think so, and I think that's the beauty of it. It, it, yeah. it fit into its mould, and I think that's why I'm so glad that we got to talk about it. Exactly. Well, that was a fun episode. For, yeah. as, for as many technical sort of blips yeah. we had. It, Sorry I, for the stops and starts, but yeah. Totally fine. Yeah, that was, that was a good conversation. Thank you for coming on. I, I really enjoyed uh, having thank you, you on. S- thank you so much for having me. Like, this is my first podcast ever, so it's, yeah. it's special. You did a great job. Uh, where Thank can people you. find you? Do you have anything you want to plug? The only thing would be my letterbox, um, Steel98 or Will Steel at Letterbox, but that's it really. Cool. You can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. It's It's over. All the rain in the sky over a fucking rainbow. Eh? Start to weep, then say goodbye, good fucking bye.